With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, staunch supporters of Donald Trump, the far-right group known as the Proud Boys, were among the first to storm the US Capitol just after the 2020 election. Three of its members have already been given long prison sentences for their involvement. A fourth Proud Boy has just been jailed for 18 years, the longest sentence yet. Our North America editor Sarah Smith is in Washington. There's probably about 300 uh, Proud Boys. They're marching. Thousands of people marched on the Capitol on the 6th of January 2021. The violence that followed has already led to hundreds of convictions, with the longest sentences going to the people who organised and coordinated the riot. The neo-fascist Proud Boys saw themselves as Donald Trump's foot soldiers, prepared to use force to stop Joe Biden being certified as president. Ethan Nordin and Joseph Biggs took charge of the Proud Boys on that day using a radio to coordinate and move their men. They've both been convicted of seditious conspiracy. We know what the oath is. Nordine has received one of the longest sentences related to the January 6th riots, 18 years in prison. We love Trump! We love Trump! Donald Trump had invited his supporters to come to Washington and to march towards Congress, using language many believe encouraged the violence that followed. We fight. We fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. Joseph Biggs sobbed in court and begged for leniency before he was sentenced to 17 years in jail. His lawyer blames the former president. Where's Donald Trump in all of this? He stood on the ellipse, basically told people, 74 million of his followers, the election's stolen, go to the, go to the Capitol, fight like hell or you won't have a country anymore. Some people listen to him. Dominic Pozzola can be clearly seen smashing a window in Congress which then ignited the invasion of the building. He's been sentenced to 10 years in prison. In a debate with Joe Biden, before the 2020 election, Donald Trump refused to condemn racist violence and name-checked the Proud Boys. Stand back and stand by. The Proud Boys leader, Enrique Tarrio, will be sentenced next week. Donald Trump himself is facing a criminal trial next year over his actions to try to overturn the 2020 election result. If he's convicted... He also could be facing a lengthy jail sentence. Sarah Smith in Washington. Hitler had the supreme fascist state. And what was he worried about in Europe and in Germany? He was worried about white genetic annihilation. What is everybody in Europe worried about now? Why genetic annihilation? All these people from Syria coming up in here. 
Greece is experiencing one of its worst wildfire seasons in recorded history. At least 18 people have died in the fires in a mountainous region near the border, near the border with Turkey. That is also where migrants enter Greece often illegally. Reporter Lydia Emanolidou says those facts have exposed an ugly current in Greek society. Officials say that lightning is probably what started the first fire in the Alexandrupolis area nearly two weeks ago, and that flames spread throughout the region because of dry and windy conditions. But locals like Giordanis tell me that's not the full story. We know very well who's lighting the fires. We've caught many people who light them. It's migrants. Clearly, here, it's illegal migrants. Giordanis asked us not to use his last name so he could speak openly. He's blaming migrants for setting the fires, people who've crossed into Greece from the Turkish border seeking asylum. In private messaging apps and on social media, local far-right militias have been coordinating patrols, sharing locations of supposed migrant sightings, and calling on people to hunt them, beat them, and even murder them. In this video that went viral, a local man says he's caught several, quote, pieces, who he claims, without evidence, were setting fires. He opens the door to his windowless trailer and shows the people he's captured. What? Among those who shared this video is the leader of the ultranationalist political party Greek Solution, one of several far-right parties Greeks voted into their parliament in national elections in June. Police investigated the video's claims and found 13 Syrians and Pakistanis being held captive. Then, based on the testimony of the three men arrested for holding them, officials charged the migrants with arson. They said that I am an immigrant and I'm dangerous. Argiris Kodolemos is a former actor who traveled to this region to help with relief efforts, and he found his own picture being circulated by far-right groups. So people uh, start to look for me, to hit me or kill me, or uh, I don't know what they, they want to do with me. The photo was taken down after he threatened to sue. Meanwhile, all those who died in the blazes in the Evros region are believed to have been migrants, Pavlos Pavlidis is the local coroner in Alexandrupolis. Some were found charred in a shed, he says, where it seems they were hiding in a forested mountain area. Others were found nearby after seemingly trying to run down the mountain and escape the fire. So they lost their lives because maybe they didn't have the possibility to ask for help and protection. Elenis Pathana is a lawyer with Refugee Support Aegean, an organization that provides legal assistance to asylum seekers and refugees. She says harsh Greek and EU policies can force undocumented immigrants to hide for fear of being violently and unlawfully returned to Turkey. In the border area of Evros, we do have uh, more and more, the last, in particular the last uh, years, serious incidents of unlawful returns. So-called pushbacks have been documented by news media and NGOs and appear to be happening more systematically under the current conservative Greek government. Greek authorities deny the allegations, but they have repeatedly expressed relief that no Greek citizens have died in the fires. For NPR News, I'm Lydia Menulidou in Alexandrupolis, Greece. First, we go to Johannesburg. 
It was once known as the City of Gold, a place where millions came to live and work on the gold fields that made South Africa rich in the 19th and 20th centuries. Johannesburg. Those of us who know and love it call it Josie. They say that gold doesn't tarnish, but the City of Gold is nothing like it used to be. Derelict buildings line littered streets. Millions of people still come to it, but they find very little comfort there because the money that sustained the city is no longer flowing into its coffers. We'll be hearing how the rot set in, but a quick recap on the details of the tragedy. At least 74 people perished in that terrible fire. Twelve of them were children. Many of them come from other African countries and the rural provinces of South Africa. There were fears that those not from South Africa would not be given assistance, something the provincial minister in charge of housing, Lebuhang Maile, dismissed. We have already identified three buildings that the surviving victims will be uh, allocated to, and we have agreed that we are not going to deal with people on the basis of their nationality. Yes. At this point, yeah. anybody who's uh, affected, we are going to give humanitarian assistance. So that question must not even arise, whether people are South African or not. At this point, it doesn't matter. Uh, this is a tragedy that affects uh, people irrespective of their nationality. Anxious residents and family of those who were in the building continue to wait for news of their beloveds. At the heart of the issue is a lack of affordable housing in South Africa's biggest and richest city. The neglect of what was once prime property is another. And then there's the violent criminality. We thought we should take a closer look at how all these factors come together and create the conditions for tragedies like the one that happened early yesterday morning. Matthew Wilhelm Solomon wrote a book called The Blinded City. Where did you live? I'm from Johannesburg. I grew up in different parts of the city, in Yovo and Kensington. I live in Kensington at the moment. Ah, okay. Well, I grew up in Cliptown, outside the city, but I, okay. I lived in Melville. So I know the okay. city really, really well, and I love Johannesburg. It's my favorite city. I wish I could live in it, but the problems that we're going to discuss are one of part of the reason why it's so difficult to live in it, downtown Joburg especially. Yeah. So you talk about dark buildings, and we're hearing the concept of hijacked buildings. There's a clear distinction to you, right? Just spell it out for us. Well, the term I use is unlawful occupations. They're buildings which are unlawfully occupied. So some have criminal gangs controlling them, eliciting illegal rental, which is a more formal conception of hijacking, but many of them don't. Many of them, in fact, have existing legal cases where they have protections from eviction, they have building committees, and they are organized through civil society organizations like the Inner City Federation. But what's happened is the term hijacked building is being applied as a generic term to encompass all sorts of different types of buildings, unlawful occupations or derelict buildings. So it's often 
can be quite misleading. The other problem with the term is it criminalizes many of the occupants, which are, are not hijackers. They're just low-income residents who can't access accommodation. So the term dark building, which is a term often just used on the street, it's not a, a formal term, is often because many of these buildings have been literally dark without um, electricity or without power, or sometimes with illegal electricity connections. And as I was saying, many don't have access to basic services like water, waste, well, it's just because they can't afford decent accommodation. So the types of people would be informal workers, cleaners, informal traders, uh, sometimes beggars. There's large communities of the disabled, uh, disabled migrants, international migrants. And the population's often mixed, South African and international migrants. And there's no real reliable statistics, but, but the statistics point to tens of thousands of people the available evidence and in some buildings the residents have organized to to get rid of these types of criminal gangs but uh the issue is really a housing issue and framing it you know the where there are um gangs extorting rent it's it's a symptom of the issue that people don't have other options do we know how many buildings are being used in this way the problem with saying an amount of buildings is it's very misleading because these buildings can be from domestic houses to large-scale, multi-story buildings. So the the last estimate I had from the city was from 2021, which estimated that the city would potentially be liable to house 10,000 rooms or units from cases that are potentially facing eviction. So that indicates that the tens of thousands of rooms and units which is, is a more reliable way of thinking about it than buildings, because buildings can be completely different. There may be more up-to-date statistics, which I don't have on hand. But but as I said, we were speaking about tens of thousands of people. From 2016, the basin census data, the city estimated that there was a shortfall of low-cost accommodation of 36,000 households. There's so many beautiful buildings, iconic buildings in the city. I mean, you and I know we, you know, Joe Burgers. How did it come to this? Why are these buildings neglected? Why are these buildings in in the state that they are? Why is the city in the state that it is? Arisen out of a fact of, uh, and coming back to the same point, a fact that often buildings haven't been maintained, city-owned properties, but also um, private. They've been former industrial areas, former residential buildings that have often slowly fallen into dereliction and that often is the case. My cry was this is a beautiful city with beautiful buildings. It's almost criminal to see those buildings go to waste in the way that it has. Why has it come to this? Is it deliberate neglect on the part of the city authorities? You know, what does it tell us about Johannesburg and the way people move around the city and how the city is being used? Well, a lot of the wealth in the city in the post-apartheid era went to northern suburbs, went to now, Santon you know, is full of beautiful shopping malls, streets, office buildings, and so on. So some of the mining companies and banks kept their business in the inner city, but there was also a kind of flight from inner city areas in the post-apartheid era. And also then you did get owners kind of abandoning buildings or allowing them to fall into dereliction, um, allowing exploitative rentals without maintaining building maintenance. And so you had this lack of private sector investment, but then a lack of state investment because the state had enormous 
public housing scheme through what what is called a reconstruction and development program, which came in under Mandela, and they built over three million houses, but often those houses on urban peripheries, and there wasn't that enough varying levels on inner city housing, creating different opportunities for ownership for affordable rental. And, and so there's been a, just a lack of investment at both by the state and private sector, which has allowed this type of dereliction. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for talking to us, but I appreciate your time. Thanks so much. It's the same way with whiskey as it, was, as, as it was used, according to the record of white supremacists themselves, in dealing with people who are called Indians. Sit down, Chief. We're going to have a Thanksgiving Day. We're going to thank, give thanks for all of the wonderful things that have been done for both me and you by our Maker, by the great spirits. <clears throat> And, in fact, I brought some spirits with me. It's in a bottle. You never had anything like this before, but you will want it after you get it. It's called fire water. It's full of spirits. It'll give you spirit like you have never had before, Chief. And the Chief said, well, what's wrong with just pure water from the river, from the great streams of our lands? Say, oh, yeah, but you never had nothing like this. This is something we made in a factory. It's got water in it. No mistake about that. Well, we got a little alcohol and a few other stuff, little other stuff that I've added here. It'll pep you up, give you another perspective on looking at the mountains altogether. Hmm, might be good stuff. So he gives it to the chief. And at the same time, now, the chief is a little suspicious. So he's drinking right along with the chief. So that means everything must be okay. So he's drinking. I'm drinking. Next thing you know, the chief is under the table. Chief's not used to it. This is the story of a scam that targeted some of this country's most vulnerable people. It was uncovered in Arizona, where dozens of operators are accused of setting up fake sober living homes as rehab facilities. Investigators say the scammers targeted people from native tribes and defrauded taxpayers out of hundreds of millions of dollars. Alice Fordham with member station KUNM has this report. The heat is just breaking after a sweltering day in Phoenix. In Madison Park, unhoused people are clustered in the scant shade of a few trees. Along paths seeping heat, two women are rolling a cart full of cold water bottles, snacks and hygiene kits, giving them out to people living here. Awesome, thank you. Thank you. Reva Stewart and Jerry Long, both from the Navajo Nation, have been doing this since they noticed more native people sleeping out last year. You guys doing okay? As they check in, they ask about places people have been staying. Take notes. Um, somewhere in Mesa, it's um, 60... Do you mind if I report that? Because yeah. all of them have stories about residential facilities and clinics which promise them help getting sober. I sit on a bleacher and ask Wendell Smith what happened to him. I want to get sober. At the same time, like, I want to get back on my feet again, too. But they say like, they can help me with job and help me with this and that. I never see none of it. He was living on the White Mountain Apache Indian Reservation when some people offered to fly him to Phoenix to live in a sober home and get the services he wanted. But when he got there, people were drinking in the home and the classes seemed sketchy. It's just like the same curriculum over and over. Most of us just end up passing out in class. He's ended up on the streets and drinking again. I'm actually thinking about getting back in the program again, but, but like, I want something that actually can help me. 
He can get back into a facility anytime he likes. Men cruise around the park at night, offering people a few dollars to come join their treatment centre. But everyone's sceptical of what's on offer. Across the street from this park is a little store selling native arts, where Reva Stewart runs an activism operation out of a back room. What we do is help find our native relatives that are, you know, subjected to these unregulated sober living homes. Stewart, the store manager, has been tracking a proliferation of sober living and rehab facilities that she says do much more harm than good. It started sometime last year. Across the street at the Phoenix Indian Medical Center, she started seeing white vans hanging around, their drivers talking to native people at bus stops. So she asked someone. So can I ask you what that guy was asking you in that van? I said, I've been seeing him driving around. And he was like, yeah, he asked me if I needed a place to go and he could get me a place to go. Then last year, a cousin of hers back on the Navajo Nation in New Mexico was approached by a similar van. She was struggling with alcoholism and the driver offered her a drink and a place to go. When she sobered up, she was in Phoenix and when she managed to contact her family, Stuart picked her up and heard she'd been taken to a place calling itself a sober home. Things fell into place. This is why there's white vans. This is what's going on. This so once I started advocating for that and putting it out there, this is what's going on, more people started telling me what was going on. And many of the stories were tragic. A former patient, Raquel Moody, who is Hopi in White Mountain Apache, now works with Stuart. Her beloved cousin left the home they were in to get away from all the drinking there and died homeless shortly afterward. Sobriety was one thing that he really, really wanted. You know, he was a good guy. He was a funny guy, man. And, you know, when he has something serious he wants you know he, he'll get it out you know and it's what he wanted was just to be sober it took a while for stories of these homes to get wider attention some activists and officials say that's because the people involved are often transient and have substance abuse and mental health problems but gradually tribal leaders then native politicians then law enforcement including the fbi began raising the alarm and investigating until the scale of the problem and its financial incentives became clear Today, we are announcing actions against over 100 providers of behavioral health, residential, and outpatient treatment services that we have credible reason to believe have defrauded the state's Medicaid program of hundreds of millions of dollars. Arizona Governor Katie Hobbs led a press conference in May. She said residential homes and clinics billed the state's Medicaid agency's American Indian Health Program for treatments that weren't adequately provided, while mostly Native people were housed in places that often weren't safe or sober. While we are still working to assess the scope of people affected, it may be in the thousands. So far, there have been 45 indictments by the Arizona Attorney General's office, and more than 100 more facilities have been suspended. The FBI's investigation is ongoing, in tandem with state and tribal authorities. The state Medicaid agency is conducting an audit. The ripples of the fraud spread to tribal lands across the country. Recruiters work as far away as Wyoming, Montana, South Dakota. On the Navajo Nation, which spans Arizona, Utah and New Mexico, officials declared a public health state of emergency and launched an operation called Rainbow Bridge. Navajo cops went down to Phoenix and helped hundreds of Navajo people get into real rehab or come home. But Navajo Nation Attorney General Ethel Branch says the aftermath of the fraud is long. You hear really sad stories about relatives who go into these homes with an alcohol addiction and then they come out with a different kind of an addiction or they decease in the home 
based on other types of substance use. In the end, people who were in the homes plus officials and folks who run legitimate facilities agree this scam wouldn't have been so easy if there were more options for treatment on tribal lands. In a 2021 government survey, 29% of the native population was found to need substance use treatment higher than any other group, but only about 5% received any help. Navajo Nation President Boo Nigren says something has to change. And it just really breaks my heart, really does break my heart. And one of my goals is to open up facilities near or on Navajo that can help our own people. He tells me he was recently in a meeting with other tribal leaders and asked about this. How many of us have a detox center or a place where people can rehabilitate themselves? Not one of us raised their hand. And I said, you know what, we all got to, what can we do to work together to build facilities that are geared toward helping our Indian people recover and heal? For NPR News, I'm Alice Fordham. The ones that I add to it, stop using and selling drugs to one another. See, we're getting ready to be put in a real trap. As the academic year gets underway, schools and families are facing a drug crisis unlike any they've seen before. Fentanyl was involved in the vast majority of all teen overdose deaths in 2021. That is according to data from the CDC. A lot of those teens thought they were taking prescription pills like Percocet or Valium, but the pills didn't come from any pharmacy. They were counterfeits that contained deadly doses of the synthetic opioid. This fall, NPR is looking at the role schools can play in saving students' lives. This first story in that series comes from WFYI's Lee Gaines in Indianapolis. Avery Caliphatis lost her cousin Aiden to a fentanyl overdose nearly three years ago. She was devastated by his death and also frustrated by what she saw as a lack of information about the fentanyl-laced counterfeit pills killing teens across the country. I was honestly like, pretty angry that this wasn't talked about more. Caliphatus is an 18-year-old from the San Francisco Bay Area. She says she knew nothing about fentanyl until it killed her family member. As I became more aware of it through my cousin's death, I really saw a big need for more education, both among parents and especially teens. Her cousin Aiden had just graduated high school. He thought he was taking Percocet. But the pill contained a deadly dose of fentanyl. Just two milligrams can kill you. The number of teen overdose deaths related to fentanyl nearly tripled from 2019 to 2021. That's according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. As the academic year gets underway, schools across the country, from Tennessee to Texas, Maryland to California, are grappling with this fentanyl crisis. Never would I have imagined that students would today have contact with a substance where even just a small bit of a pill could kill you. That's Alberto Carvalho, the superintendent of the Los Angeles Unified School District. He says schools can't ignore this crisis. If our students are having contact with these substances, then uh, we need to be active agents, active participants in the solution. He says LAUSD is stocking Narcan in its school buildings. That's a medicine that reverses opioid overdoses. The district is also warning students and parents about fentanyl-laced pills. But drug education across the country is not standardized, and it's oftentimes outdated. A national survey of teens from 2021 found only 60 percent reported they'd had drug or alcohol education in school. We need to revive drug education in America. And 
way, we need to Narcan drug education. We need to breathe life into it. Bring it back. Ed Ternan, a father from Pasadena, California, lost his son Charlie to a fentanyl overdose three years ago. After Charlie's death, Ternan and his wife founded the nonprofit Song for Charlie to educate teens about fentanyl. Ternan says it's time for schools to make fentanyl awareness a priority. I think the fentanyl crisis is an inflection point in our national conversation about drugs. It's forced us to look in the mirror and acknowledge our shortcomings and say, we got to do better. And education leaders say this isn't just a school crisis. We can't possibly do this alone. Becky Pringle is the president of the National Education Association, the nation's largest teachers union. So it's not just educators in schools, it's parents and families, it's the communities themselves. It's every level of government we have to come together. Too often, the ills of society find their way to our schoolhouse doors but the resources of society don't. Caliphatus, the teenager from the Bay Area, is trying to do her part. She founded Project One Life. It's a youth-led nonprofit that encourages teens to talk about the fentanyl crisis with each other. She says there's so much schools could do to help. They have the potential to get a life-saving message to millions of kids. Having these conversations and having them right can be the difference between life and death. For NPR News, I'm Lee Gaines. And NPR's Alyssa Nadwerney and Sequoia Carrillo contributed to this report. Does it hurt terribly? No, it's not too bad. They have me on a lot of painkillers. Oh, really? What kind? Codeine? Vicodin? Percocet? Fentanyl? Oxycontin? Paladone? I have no idea. Narcan will be available over-the-counter at U.S. pharmacies as soon as next week. That's the nasal spray that can reverse an overdose. The company that makes the drug is shipping it out today. From member station WBUR, Deborah Becker reports it's the first time Narcan will be available nationwide without a prescription. The company that makes Narcan, Emergent Biosolutions, is shipping out hundreds of thousands of two-dose packages for over-the-counter and online sales. Emergent Senior Vice President Paul Williams says this follows FDA approval of over-the-counter Narcan sales to try to stem rising overdose deaths. When you think about the opioid crisis continuing to get worse, the number of opioid-related deaths continuing to increase, especially in the last couple of years, expanding access for Narcan to be much broader to folks is critically important. Narcan is the brand name for the drug naloxone, which can reverse an opioid overdose in minutes. Generic versions of naloxone are expected in stores next year. Major retailers Walgreens, Rite Aid, and CVS Health all say Narcan will be available in their stores and online in September. They also say pharmacists will be on hand to explain how to identify an overdose and when to administer the spray. The suggested price for consumers for a two-dose carton is $44.99, a price that some say is expensive. Sheila Vicaria is with the Drug Policy Alliance. For some people, $44 is a small price to pay to have access to the medication, but there are, of course, going to be people for whom $44 is out of reach. The suggested price is less for purchasers in the so-called public interest market, such as municipalities and nonprofits that distribute Narcan to the public for free. An FDA study says in 2021, most of the 17 million doses of naloxone that were distributed in the U.S. were by non-retail groups. Kevin Roy with Shatterproof, a national nonprofit fighting addiction, says free doses are still needed. We can't make the mistake of assuming that the problem is solved because it's available over the counter. So it is a 
tool in, in the toolbox to solving the crisis, but it certainly is not the only one that's important. Roy also says resources are still needed for addiction medication and treatment. Before this, Narcan was available only by prescription, although some states allowed it to be sold at pharmacy counters at a customer's request. Some insurers say they will still cover the cost of the spray. Last year, the U.S. set a record, reporting more than 109,000 opioid overdose deaths. For NPR News, I'm Deborah Becker in Boston. Deep in the heart. Why'd you say that? I said deep in the heart. I can't hear you. Deep in the heart. Where's that? Texas. Black people in Bear County make up around 8% of the county's population. However, black residents make up a disproportionate 15% of the 120 law enforcement shootings in Bear County between 2016 and 2022. That's according to public records collected and analyzed by TPR. TPR's Josh Peck is here to talk about what the data can tell us and how some in the community think police shooting disparities can be reduced. Good morning, Josh. Morning. Josh, can you tell us about the data you found? Yeah, you mentioned the overall numbers, but because of its size, SAPD is actually the biggest contributor to law enforcement shootings in the county. 97 of those 120 shootings were done by SAPD officers. And for SAPD, 16 of those shootings were of black residents. And that's 16.5% of all police shootings in San Antonio. For some comparison, SAPD shot 14 white people during the same period. But white San Antonians make up almost three times the population of black San Antonians. There are some members of the community, like Ananda Thomas, the executive director of police reform organization ACT4SA, who say these data demonstrate a clear problem at SAPD. I mean, initial reaction is that, you know, this is sad. I think this is evidence that there, that there is an issue here. The same issue that we're seeing all across the country is happening here. The problem with these data is that they're not perfect, and they can't prove discriminatory policing practices on their own. For one thing, putting shooting data up against total population data isn't the best method of comparison. And because of how SAPD only places people into single ethnic or racial categories, we might be missing some people who are Afro-Latino or white and Asian, which would affect the demographic data in these reports. An SAPD spokesperson for the Public Information Office made clear to me that an analysis based on demographic information alone is, quote, concerning and limited. The spokesperson said every time an officer shoots someone, it's reviewed by Internal Affairs, the Bexar County District Attorney's Office's Civil Rights Division, and a grand jury, and the vast majority of the time found to be justifiable. And they said there are a number of factors, like whether someone police are engaging with is armed, that impact police-resident interactions. SAPD's so-called officer-involved shooting reports indicate that 12 of the 16 black San Antonians shot by SAPD carried, exhibited, or used a deadly weapon, which is broadly defined, but often refers to firearms or knives. For comparison, 11 of the 14 white San Antonians shot by SAPD are also indicated to have carried, exhibited, or used a deadly weapon. So what can we take away from the data if there really is no clear connection to discrimination or SAPD policies? These data may not be conclusive, but the findings still raise fair questions about the reasons officers deploy their firearms during interactions with the city's residents. And Nick Hudson, a policy and advocacy strategist at the ACLU of Texas, said these data fit nicely into a bigger picture of police shootings in Texas. What we are seeing in Bayer County is consistent with what we are seeing across the state, which is uh, non-white civilians being shot and killed more often than white civilians. So we, we do have large data sets for the entire state that do show large racial disparities in police shootings and killings. 
San Antonio District 2 Councilman Jalen McKee Rodriguez told me that the disparity in shootings suggests problems that go deeper than just SAPD. We haven't invested in crime prevention. We haven't invested in our youth, um, in opportunities, in poverty. We haven't invested enough. He says officer training can only do so much, and community investment is often a better tool to reduce crime and, by extension, police interactions and shootings. Councilman McKee Rodriguez is offering a pretty long-term solution to police shooting disparities. Did anyone you spoke to talk about what they think should be done in the shorter term? I think many police reform activists would say long-term community investment is one of the best ways to solve this, but most of them aren't waiting on that. Councilman McKee Rodriguez did offer some shorter-term options, like an independent community advisory board to oversee police activities. Thomas, the police reform activist, said reducing police interactions is key, especially for San Antonians with severe mental illnesses. That's why we've been pushing, right, to have alternative responders for mental health crises or to have policies like site and release or site and divert, because it's the number one thing you can do to save lives is to reduce interactions, and they're not doing enough. Many in San Antonio are by now familiar with Melissa Perez and how three SAPD officers shot and killed her inside her apartment during an apparent mental health crisis. Police Chief William McManus himself said multiple officers, including a supervisor, ignored training during that incident. Three of those officers are now facing murder charges. I think people like Thomas would say that if a non-armed unit trained to deal with mental health crises had gone out to Perez instead of SAPD, she might still be alive. Thomas and others have pointed to a program in Denver, Colorado, called the Support Team Assisted Response, or STAR, program, where EMTs and mental health clinicians respond to mental health calls instead of law enforcement. I recently reported on the STAR program in a story about how some parents who care for children with severe mental illnesses are thinking about getting help from the police after Pettis' killing. So how do these police responses to mental health calls relate to racial disparities? Thomas and Councilman McKee Rodriguez say the problem is that you often can't separate out race from mental illness and economic opportunity. That's why they offer potential solutions that come with the problem from so many angles. They don't think this issue has just one solution. Mental illness often tracks with poverty levels, and in a city like San Antonio, with its history of racial and then economic segregation, that means it often tracks with race, too. Councilman Mickey Rodriguez said he worries that not enough solutions are being tested out, and that instead the city is once again looking for police to solve all its problems. The city will say, well, you know what? People are asking for more officers. Let's give them more officers. We're understaffed. We're going we're gonna to do this. And other council members, because they're also hearing, you know, I want more officers, that becomes the very easy solution, and it's politically convenient. Has the city made efforts in recent years to address police shootings and concerns from people like Ananda Thomas and Councilman McKee Rodriguez? Yes, the city has taken some concrete policy steps, especially since George Floyd was murdered in 2020 and protests took over downtown San Antonio. In lieu of an interview, Mayor Ron Nirenberg said over a few statements about what the city's done. For example, he said, quote, Since 2020, with city council's direction, the San Antonio Police Department announced a permanent ban on no-knock warrants, as well as prohibiting chokeholds and shooting at a moving vehicle. Mayor Nierberg also said in a statement that, quote, We have changed the city's mental health protocol to put an emphasis on de-escalating confrontations. But for folks like Thomas, it's just not enough. Looking to investing in those communities and what they need. They need after-school programs. They need infrastructure. They need help with diapers for their kids, right, access to food. Those are the things that we can truly do to build a safer community that's not relying on police that's going to save black and brown lives, period. It's hard to understand what kind of impact the policies Mayor Nuremberg described have had, especially when we've seen the high-profile cases like Pettis' killing and the October shooting of Eric Cantu Jr. In each case, police did not follow training that told them to de-escalate mental health crises and not to shoot at moving vehicles. 
Josh Peck is a reporter here at Texas Public Radio. Josh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You can read more of Josh's reporting on racial disparities in local police-involved shootings at tpr.org. You're listening to Morning Edition on Texas Public Radio. I'm Norma Martinez. Saying that black men and boys die does little to capture the causes that extinguish their lives. This reporting requires no academic engagement. It simply requires the interpretation of the black male lives lost. Often these deaths are not thought to be of the kinds important enough to learn more about. Black male deaths are normalized. We already know they happen constantly in our society, so they need not be analyzed. Because black males are known to die, we need not make them a subject of study. There is no need to divert theoretical resources to the facticity of their demise. Attempting to do so, to study black males as affected by particular ecological or ideological forces is reduced to the, oh, here we go again, syndrome. Christopher Shore is not the victim. Patrick is. His family is. His children are. Um, so that's what we want to bring more awareness to Patrick. Family, friends, and supporters of Patrick Leoya rallying in Grand Rapids this afternoon ahead of a key court date that involves the police officer who shot and killed him after a struggle during a traffic stop back in April 2022. Thanks for joining us. I'm Janice Allen. Axum Needs Marisa Oberly went to today's demonstration and brings us their message tonight. People at Thursday's event said they wanted to show their support for Patrick's loved ones and think a panel of judges should uphold the charges against the now former GRPD officer involved in his death. Justice for Patrick! Justice for Patrick! A familiar chant echoed through the streets of downtown Grand Rapids on Thursday as a few dozen people, including nationally known civil rights attorney Ben Crump, marched in honor of Patrick Leoya, a 26-year-old Congolese immigrant who died in 2022 after one of the city's police officers, Christopher Schur, shot him during a traffic stop. What I'm saying, let us stay strong and let keep fighting. Through an interpreter, Patrick's father, Peter, held out hope that Schur would be held accountable for what happened. Next Wednesday, the Michigan Court of Appeals will hear oral arguments to determine whether he should stand trial for second-degree murder. Separately, a judge ruled earlier this week that a civil lawsuit against Schur could continue. He dismissed Grand Rapids from it, though, because lawyers failed to show that inadequate training from the city led to the shooting. We feel confident that the city ultimately will be brought before a court of law because the video is so clear. Crump, who represents Patrick's family in that matter, disagrees, but did not say whether he planned to appeal the decision. Patrick Leonia! Meanwhile, community members plan to keep Patrick's legacy alive each step of the way. It doesn't matter how far you push away a name, you can never push away a memory, and you can never push away the pure tragedy of a soul that was taken before their time when they didn't have to be. Now, there's no time frame for when the Court of Appeals may make a decision about Schur's criminal charges. His trial remains delayed until that happens. Reporting in the control room, Marisa Oberly, Fox 17 News. Saying if it was not for 
the white people who practice racism, white supremacy, Mr. President Obama, would not be in the White House? If, if any black person who forgets that is getting a very, forgetting a very important fundamental, he couldn't even been running. His name would have been not been known. He wouldn't have had a white mother in Kansas. 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 Black women are less than 15% of the nation's population, but they make up nearly a third of missing women. In Jackson County, a quarter of all missing people are black women. And one recent case in Kansas City made national headlines as the result of a story by the Kansas City Defender that raised concerns about how police handle cases of missing black women. The remains of one woman connected to that case were found in the Missouri River in late June. She's at the center of a story by KCUR's investigative reporter Peggy Lowe. Peggy joined Chris Wade, executive director of human rights organization Justice Project KC, to tell KCUR's Steve Kraske why these cases don't get the attention they deserve. Peggy, this story is a lot more complex than just one person who was found. Janie's story is connected to a larger set of concerns about how law enforcement treated missing persons cases. It made national news last fall. What's the context there? So last fall, it was October, um, a woman escaped from a man's home. His name is Timothy Haslett Jr. in Excelsior Springs. He's 40 years old. And she reported to police that he held her captive and beat her and raped her for more than a month. He had picked her up off prospect. She was about 22 years old. And she told police that there were other women that he hurt. So that created this big, really national firestorm that I know you had on your show several times about um, the black community suggesting that the uh, Kansas City Police Department ignored the missing women from Prospect or Independence Ave. Um, and the police denied this, saying, for instance, in Janie, Janie's case, there was no missing persons file. It, you know, she was not reported as missing. So I wanted to go back and tell the story of Janie specifically because I want to know and I want to tell our listeners who these women are. And I think that their personalities in their lives kind of got caught up in this larger conflict between the black community and the Kansas City Police Department, which is um, absolutely understood and expected. But there's this other part of the story that I thought was important. You know, as you know, the KCPD reinstated its missing persons unit as a result of all this. What have you heard about the department's efforts since that time? It was one of the first things that uh, Chief Stacy Graves did when she got the job. So that was pretty remarkable because the missing persons unit had been disbanded under Rick Smith, the former chief. So that was one of her first things. Uh, she put uh, a captain who's well-respected uh, in, in charge of it. They quickly had a news conference that said, we're going to focus on this. We're putting quite a few officers on it. And now they're even... Um, placing, it's called the blue sheet. It's the daily crime stats from KCPD. And on the blue sheet every day is an update of the missing persons within the Kansas City area. So it certainly feels like they're putting quite a bit of attention on it. You know, Peggy, there is there any validity to the concern that law enforcement ultimately doesn't take cases of missing black women all that seriously? 
Well, it's been a lifelong problem, right? I mean, Chris is over here shaking her head at me. I've covered part of that story back in the 1980s for the star. Right. And you and I have talked about, we're old cops reporters. When you're working a Saturday night cop shift and, you know, you get a report that there's a dead woman out there and you take it to your boss and you say, um, oh, she was working the streets. And so it's like, eh, that's not as important as, oh, that white woman that went missing from Brookside. Right. And that's a terrible, terrible thing we did. Mm -hmm. And, but it happened and it still happens. So, It's hard to say – it's hard to just blame the police, I guess is what I'm saying. I would blame the media as well. Chris, what's your take on this? Well, I I kind of agree with her. Um, I think that part of it is that the public needs to be educated about if you believe that someone in one of your friends, your family, uh, a close associate, someone you work with is missing, get as much information about that individual as you can because in order to investigate a, a, a missing person, you need to have as much information as possible about where that person hangs out. You know, So uh, the public needs to understand that you, know, you can't just expect anyone to go out and just start randomly hunting. But do you think the police have any culpability over the years, Chris, based I think on they your do. work? Yeah. Yes, I do, from the past, yes. And I, I'm very hopeful with Chief Graves. I really am. And I, I'm very pleased that a woman's in charge. Yeah. And hopefully that will help with some sensitivity towards this issue. I also talked to Chris, and this was in my story, too, at KCUR.org, about the fact that people on the street don't report people on the street as missing. Right, Chris? Well, there's always somebody missing out there. You know, there'll be people that'll drop off the map for a few weeks. Maybe they're in, in treatment. Maybe they're in the hospital and maybe they're incarcerated for a time. Uh, maybe they've, and, and in the case of people who are being used in prostitution, they may have run off with a date for a week or two. You never know what might happen. They're used to people being gone. And, and plus, or they're used to people coming and going, I should right. say, from the street. The other thing is that they may not even know that individual's real government name. They may not have an act. They may say, well, it was so-and-so. She goes by such-and-such. Well, that doesn't help. Well, what you're describing is a situation that makes it pretty complex for police, doesn't it? It it does. I mean, this is not an easy problem. No. There's more complicated than maybe it looks on the surface. That's right. Well, black women make up about 25% of missing people in Jackson County, Peggy. How does that stack up against national data? So national data is about a third of the missing persons are, are women of color, are black women. So it's it's been a chronic problem forever, Steve. And why? What, what, what's the basis for that number being as high as it is? I guess it's um, poverty. It's um, addiction. It's mental health. Uh, Chris, you have said Janie suffered from some mental health problems. You're nodding your head, Chris, as Peggy's yeah, talking. Uh, I, yeah, I would agree with that. There's a there's – a, numerous factors involved and um yeah she definitely had her challenges and and uh those kind of challenges are very difficult to struggle with and like i said earlier you know um when someone goes missing in the streets people just don't uh they don't notice they don't yeah. understand and i i think that the police have, have uh, they've worked very very hard to make it right Do you think, at the end of the day, Chris, that there's enough attention being given to the problem of missing black women? And if so, what do we need to do about that? I think nationally, there is definitely not. I I think globally, probably, there is uh, women in general, and particularly women of color, 
Mm-hmm. I think it's a huge issue, and um, I'm I'm hopeful that here in in Kansas City, Missouri, we'll be able to to put a better focus on it. But I, w- I, I would agree with that. Yes, you're saying this change in the chief uh, chiefs might make a mm-hmm. difference. What else would make a difference here? Well, I think the community, you know, understanding about how to report people missing, what the process is. And and for the police department, I haven't had to report anybody missing for a while. But, you know, streamline the process. Make it so people don't feel intimidated to come in and report Mm. someone. Is that an issue? I I think it is. I think any time people that aren't used to dealing with law enforcement have to deal with law enforcement, it, it can make them very nervous, especially if they live in the urban core. You know, the Justice Project, KC, offers a lot of services for women in poverty. Tell me a, a bit about more about what work you, you aim to do and, and uh, what the Justice Project, KC, is all about. Well, we're kind of a combination of, of uh, direct service to individuals like street outreach, uh, different forms of advocacy, that sort of thing, be able to refer them on to other agencies that have more capability and funds that we do. Um, so basically, we just try to help help them figure out, you know, what kind of obstacles are you dealing with that are holding you back, and and how can we help you resolve those in partnership? That helps. Chris, if someone's missing, what should someone do? Well, what's the what's the step you take? I would say, um, if you really believe someone is missing, and especially if they may have uh, come to foul play. Get as much information, detailed information about that individual, a picture. What do they look like now? Where do they hang out? Who who do they run around with? Pictures probably are hard to come by, though, in some cases. Well, yeah. And, I mean, for example, we don't take pictures on the street. That's a good way to get a bullet in your brain. Mm-hmm. So, now, we sometimes would take pictures if we have a little party or a little event. Some of the women come. But you don't take pictures. Why? What's the? Well, for one thing, people are distrustful of people who are taking pictures of you on the street. Mm -hmm. What if you have a warrant? Mm -hmm. You know, what if you're on the run from your bad, uh, violent baby daddy and you don't want to be seen in that area or have someone take your picture and put it on their Facebook page? Oh, here we are at Independence Avenue in Indiana. That causes problems for some people. It it can. It it can get people killed. That was KCUR's Peggy Lowe and Steve Kraske and Chris Wade of Justice Project KC. You can hear their entire conversation from KCUR's Up to Date at KCUR.org. Mama says police misshoot black people. Is it true? Uh, yeah, is it true? Is that true? Yeah, is it yeah, true? Is that true? Is it true? Ten TV News at Noon begins with breaking news from Blendon Township. Two hours ago, we received new police body camera video of the moments leading up to a deadly shooting involving a police officer. A 21-year-old pregnant woman, Takaya Young, was shot and killed by an officer last Thursday. 10TV got the body-worn camera video within the last hour. We thank you for joining us for 10TV News at noon today. I'm Tracy Townsend. And before we show you the video, we do want to warn you, it might be hard to watch. We feel, though, here at 10TV, it's important to provide some context. Looking at behavior and context. As to what led to the shooting. We are not going to show the moment those, the deadly shot was fired. We will pause the video. Here's what you're about to see. Two Blendon Township police officers say they were at the Sunbury Kroger store helping someone unlock their car door. A Kroger employee waved them down and informs them a woman is trying to steal from the store. We're going to show you two clips from both body-worn camera videos with a brief pause in between them. Here is the moment the police officers approached Takaya Young's car. What's that? Female is hallucinating. Hey. Stop. Hey, 
Out of the car. 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 They said your soul stuff do not leave. Get out of the Then then get out. No. Then get out. Get out of the car. 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 They said your soul stuff do not leave. Get out of the then then get out. No. Then get out. Get out of the car. We now know the officer who fired the gun is on administrative leave while the Bureau of Criminal Investigation works on this case. The second officer did not fire his weapon, and the Blinden Township Police Chief John Belford says after reviewing the video, that officer is back on duty as they are short-staffed. 10TV's Kiana Deitches is outside the Blinden Township Police Department now. She was there as the family walked out after speaking with the chief. Kiana. Well, Tracy, that all happened very quickly. The family was in and out of the room just behind me here within 15 minutes. And as you can imagine, they were devastated after seeing that video. We briefly spoke to one of the attorneys afterwards, and she says that the video speaks for itself. She says that she didn't see any justification for use of deadly force. I saw a, a young woman get killed. Um, and. You know, we we're going to work through the legal process and, and how that plays out. But I, I, in that video, I didn't see any exoneration for, for the police officer. And this was the moment the family came out from viewing the body cam footage. Takaya's grandmother, Nadine Young, on the right in tears after watching it. About seven family members total walked out very quietly, many of them wiping tears, sharing hugs, but taking it all in quietly and their attorneys say that they're going to pursue all forms of justice that they can receive, including charges being brought against the officer who pulled the trigger. And Tracy, there have been many questions about what took so long to release the body cam video. The chief saying that the legal review and redaction process was both complicated and time consuming. And that process included having someone outside of Blendon Township come in and review that video to provide context and not make any conclusions conclusions about whether the use of deadly force was legally justified. Tracy. All right, Kiana Digest in Blinden Township. Thank you for that update. We should also note that Chief Belford also released a lengthy statement. We have that full statement for you online. Just click on this story at 10 tv.com. The man, the not, man not, race, race class, class, genre. genre. And the dilemmas of black manhood. Clay County judge ruled an 84-year-old white homeowner will stand trial for shooting a black teenager who mistakenly went to the wrong house to pick up his siblings back in April. Today was the preliminary hearing for Andrew Lester. He's charged with first-degree assault and armed criminal action for shooting Ralph Yarl in the head and arm after that teenager rang the doorbell. Lester claimed he thought Yarl was there to rob him. KSHB 41 news reporter Alyssa Jackson was in the courtroom to hear the testimony today and the judge's ruling. So, Alyssa, fill us in. What did you learn? 
Well, Caitlin, we, you know, we went through 12 witnesses today, but the last one that everyone was waiting to hear from was Ralph Yall. He got up there and he told us that he is doing better than he was doing four months ago. We know that, especially after talking to his family about him starting school this month and about his aspirations uh, to, to head to college and pursue engineering. But one thing that we pulled from his testimony today that we haven't really heard before is that on the night that he says that he went to Andrew Lester's home by mistake trying to pick up his siblings, he had no phone. He had no GPS, only an address given to him by his mom, so he mixed up the street names, even though he doesn't live that far away. Now, during his testimony, he had to recount all of the events that night. We know that his mom said that she gave him the address to pick up his siblings, but we also know that very few, if any, words were exchanged that night between Ralph and Andrew Lester. Ralph claims either before or after Lester pulled the trigger, he said, quote, don't come here ever again. This is a moment Ralph's family told us he has been preparing for getting up on the stand. And his aunt told us afterwards how she think he did. He did amazing. He did so good. He did a lot better than I would have done. Because I was sitting back there throwing punches in the air. And he was there so well composed, answering those questions like he should have. And he spoke his truth. Ralph did take an intense questioning from the defense today. While he was up there, the defense was trying to point out some inconsistencies in the statements that he gave from police about whether he pulled on the storm door, whether he touched the storm door, and also about whether or not Lester shot him while he was up twice or shot him when he was up and when he was down on the ground. So even though Ralph admitted that there were some inconsistencies, he said that's because one of the statements was after he had brain surgery and was under anesthesia but today when he was on the stand he says he was telling the truth live at the clay county courthouse Alyssa jackson kshb 41 news this question why is this stuff happening the new york times article i mean editorial today the trump effect See, this is what I'm doing with my money, buying newspapers like Dick Gregory. <laughs> the Trump effect and how it spreads. It says we are on the brink, under, under Trump, on the brink of fascism. New York Times, all the news that's fit to print, Editorial 1210-2015. I say fascism is in-stage white supremacy. So you see, I mean, just like in Nazi Germany. Fascism, system of racism, white supremacy, determined to survive. New details are emerging about the views of the gunman who killed three people in a racially motivated attack at a Jacksonville Dollar General Saturday. The shooter left behind writings, giving us a glimpse into his mind. Those writings have not been publicly released, but a new report from Rolling Stone reveals some details. Yeah, these are the people that he killed in that shooting. A.J. Laguerre, Jr., Angela Carr, and Gerald Galleon. News for Jackson reporter Ann Maxwell is joining us now with what we're learning about the writings the shooter left behind. Ann? 
Tarek, Joy, they are bizarre and incomprehensible, some of what we read in the Rolling Stone. As you mentioned, the writings haven't yet been released publicly, uh, but Rolling Stone is reporting that the gunman said he was hoping for a race war. An ideology of hatred motivating a 21-year-old Clay County man to open fire in a Dollar General. The attack left three dead. 52-year-old Angela Carr, 29-year-old Gerald Gallion, and 19-year-old A.J. Laguerre Jr. Targets random, but for their race. Now, Rolling Stone reveals the gunman's writing mentioned specific targets, including the artists known as Eminem and Machine Gun Kelly, referring to them using an anti-black slur. He also dismissed Eminem's work, referring to it as gay and liberal. He didn't like government. He didn't like left or right. If that's what we're talking about, he didn't like anything. According to Rolling Stone, the gunman also mentioned Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, writing about him as, quote, the rare principled conservative interprets law based on the Constitution. He also praised mass shooters. It's so familiar. Orrin Siegel with the Anti-Defamation League Center on Extremism says hate-filled online forums can provide a sense of meaning, no matter how vile, for people like this shooter, who reportedly isolated himself in his room after flunking out of college and being fired from his job. They are offering them uh, ideologies and ideas and a sense of belonging um, through hatred. We have now seen multiple times individuals writing names of previous shooters on their weapons or hate symbols, right? Not just in Jacksonville, but in Buffalo and in Christ Church. He says the number of extremist-related mass shootings have been growing in recent years, with the ADL tracking 27 such attacks in the past 12 years, compared with 20 identified in the previous 40 years. So we are currently living in an epidemic of extremist motivated mass shootings in this country. To reverse the trend, he recommends online platforms do more to create friction to slow down the spread of hate. These are private companies. This is not about freedom of speech. This is about willingness to put money into efforts to make it more difficult for somebody to learn how and where to kill people online. And Sheriff T.K. Waters has said the manifestos uh, written by the shooter will be released maybe as soon as this week or next week. They're waiting for the FBI to finish reviewing it. Reporting live downtown and Maxwell Channel 4, the local station. The Turner Diaries sold over half a million copies. Who do you think is buying it? Eric Rudolph, the Olympic bomber. Way Page, who shut up the Sikh temple. Larry Ford, developing typhoid and cholera. William Krar with the cyanide bomb. Anthrax, ricin, botulism, C4, IEDs. I could go on like this for hours, and all of them are white supremacists. A local pastor says his church was racially targeted, and he says police won't take it seriously. His claim comes after a man with a gun allegedly tried to get into the church over the weekend. Police there in Ambridge say the man was on drugs. And now, as Chris Hoffman reports, a local congressman is involved. According to the bishop, he feels this situation has been downplayed by police. He feels in light of everything that has happened across the country, where some predominantly African-American churches have been attacked, there should be more urgency and cooperation working with him. 
It was Sunday morning when 38-year-old Jeffrey Harris allegedly had a gun and tried to get into the church. He apparently pointed a gun at people entering the building on Melrose Avenue. Ambridge police later arrested him on Merchant Street. What would you think if you were standing here in my shoes? Bishop Kenneth Crum says police told him about the incident later Sunday afternoon. He feels they should have been notified sooner. Since then, there's been no communication between the two. We're the victims. You know, it's not my job to reach out to them. We're the victims. Ambridge Police Chief John DeLuca did not wish to comment today, but said yesterday they don't feel this was a hate crime. They apparently found Harris was under the influence of meth during the incident. We found nothing in the evidence as of now um, to alarm our, our community to think that th this was racially motivated or crimes against our churches. But Bishop Crum feels they are not taking his concerns seriously. Congressman Chris Deluzio sent a letter to the Justice Department to look into this matter and see if any civil rights have been violated. I heard from the bishop his folks are worried. They're worried they were targeted because of the color of their skin, because they were there to worship. We have federal laws to protect both of those things in this country. The bishop says other security measures will be put in place in addition to locked doors to make sure everyone does stay safe when they come to worship. In Ambridge, Beaver County, Chris Hoffman, KDKA-TV News. Stop singing and dancing and start thinking. Wow. Thinking and reading. I say reading is more important than watching TV. Missouri prisoners will no longer be able to receive books from friends and family starting September 25th. The Missouri Department of Corrections says the new policy is intended to keep drugs from arriving in the mail, and incarcerated people will still be able to buy books for themselves and borrow them from the library. Dylan Piles is co-founder of Liberation Lit, a Kansas City group that ships free books to Kansas and Missouri prisons. He says most of the people who contact the group can't afford to buy their own books. Books are... One of the main ways that folks who are serving time or incarcerated are able to create a lifeline with the outside world and to limit that access in any way, to me, is truly like cruel and unusual punishment. Missouri prison policy already requires all books be ordered from vendors like Amazon and be shipped directly to prisons so they can't be intercepted or contaminated with drugs. And some began to say the threats or talk about the threats that were out. Uh, what would happen to me from some of our sick white brothers? A 14-year-old white male has been charged with attempted murder in what investigators say was a racially motivated attack in Chatham. Police say the suspect went swimming with another child who is black. The white teen allegedly used racial slurs and invoked the name of George Floyd while submerging the other teen underwater by pulling on his life jacket. Apparently, the suspect knew the other boy could not swim. A bystander stepped in to help end the attack. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Saturday, September 2, 2023. So I have been told. Public service announcement. No parties. Labor Day weekend. So they tell me. No parties. Have that last barbecue. Hit the beach. Go for a hike. 
watch the sunset, all of the above. No parties. We've seen that enough over really a lifetime, but certainly just the past three, four months. You can't even make an accident going to the wrong residence, much less be at a larger gathering. Again, I said it yesterday. One thing you can tell folks who might be contemplating, do we want to go out to the shindig and all the rest of it? How do we feel about police drones conducting surveillance of our event? If you are in New York City, that will be a part of your Labor Day weekend. Enforcement officers have already announced. Make sure you all behave. We saw what you did this summer, Baltimore and all the rest of it. We saw it. We will have our drones buzzing through the air. Keep an eye on you. Well, no party. That would, you can add with that, sobriety would be best. Pass that one along for a variety of reasons. Slight correction for myself. I thought we were going to be here tomorrow and in fact I was planning to be here tomorrow but went to confirm strive for accuracy and I wrote the date round wrong so thankfully our guest was gracious enough so we rescheduled so they will be with us uh, not tomorrow but next Sunday I guess in my heart I wanted them to be with us on a Sunday and so I got that Sunday we will rock and roll uh, but we will still be here on Tuesday Uh, And then other dates for the week, certainly for the book club, as we uh, proceed. Thought it was going to be tomorrow and Tuesday. Mistake. Tuesday, we will still be here. And all of these themes will be around education. Important area of people activity, right? Number two, right? That will be coming up. Lots of that new school year for folks across the land. Either you've just got started or it's about to start in the next few days or so. So we will be right on schedule. White guests only. Full September to come. Uh, Number one or number two. Correction. Man, I was so disgruntled. It'll be corrected for the archive. But for the folks who were with us live, the segment where they were talking about these scams targeting non-white people so-called natives uh well whoa, we'll get you sober and get you off of that alcohol man and they end up duping them and all this abusing these folks after they tricked them with all this fire warning in the first place i had mr fuller talking about that exactly and for some reason the audio got edited or whatever the audio or the volume was not corrected or whatever but Got that fixed. Archive will be straight, so people will be able to hear the preface correctly. Three. That last segment, I'll get my other comments about the new segments uh, before, then we'll give out the number and all that, but that final segment, it was only 30 seconds long. In Chatman, a week with all of the things that happened, right? We started with Jacksonville and talked about that, mass shooting and manifesto and all the rest hating on Eminem all the things that happened this week all over the world a 14 year old is arrested in Chatham New England I think that's Massachusetts specifically trying to drown 
a black child on purpose. They said he mentioned George Floyd and knew that this black child could not swim. Got him out there, grab him around the ring. I'll show you, George Floyd. I'll show you. Yeah, can't breathe, can you? Can't breathe, can you? And they had to get someone to intervene to save this child's life. I told you, we heard the word earlier this week. We were talking about Jacksonville. White friend. It was in the context of talking about black children having white friends. They said this racist child knew this black child and had enough intel to know oh yeah easy mark can't swim a lick let me drag him out and I'm George Floyd you too that was a 30 second clip listener mailed me that one I told folks most of the time you send me news clip a segment on Saturday. I've already got everything collected and getting everything together. Like very unlikely that I'm gonna play it, but like a drown. I even had to look at it. Like, am I looking at this? This just happened. A drowning? What? George Floyd? Then I couldn't find information. They had a few reports. They had a few, but I mean, it was not some black male privilege. He tried to kill a black boy, said George Floyd, a race crime. Are you serious? It was not that at all. 30 seconds. Got out of the chop chop. Can't spend all day talking about Negro males. Let's go. Chop chop. 30 seconds. We said for many reasons, teach your child to swim. Now, if you got a race soldier that's trying to drown you, I don't know. You being able to swim may or may not help I guess it'll help a little bit teach them to swim I guess it would be more importantly teach them about white supremacy racism what it means to be white and I mean explain no white friends you don't have any white friends tell them do you have any white friends and if not why did you have any white friends at what time? What happened to them? Explain it in detail. And in fact, this should be a great one. You tell your child, hey, no white friends. You can't go to Tad's house for lots of reasons. You show them this report. Mandatory. You got a child there 14 years. What I said before is no shield. No shield. He's 14 years old. No shield. White child knows about George Floyd at 14. No shield. You got to talk to your offspring about racism, white supremacy, and well in advance of 14, I would say. Maybe well in advance of four. I don't know. Either way, you take that child. You say, hey, Asada, Leroy, no white friends. Oh, man. Tad wants me to come to his house. You know, we mean. Teresa, she wants me to come to her house. We mean. Hey, I don't have any white friends. Having white friends is dangerous. You show them this report, and then you say, hey, let's go to all of the people who care about you. If this is mom talking, hey, let's go ask your dad. Dad, do you have any white friends? See what he says. 
Let's go ask your grandparents. Let's see what they Grandma, do you have any white friends? And the same thing I said before. If you don't, have you ever had any white friends? See what they say. And tell, tell the truth. If you had a bunch of them at one time, tell the truth, man. And go around to all of your relatives and get an assessment. And I mean all of them. And get an assessment. You should have a wide age range. It shouldn't just be that all of your relatives are, you know, in their 20s or 30s. You should have a wide age range. Many different generations to see. Now, do these black people have white friends? And if they don't, dang, do you know white people? Yes. Why don't you have white friends? That will give them context and it'll be a great opportunity you can talk to all of your relatives and it shouldn't be conflict because nobody should have an opinion about this or anything just give me your what do they call lived experience do you have white friends they can rattle off the names yep chuck bill boom 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 boom, boom. and tell me about what do you all do when did y'all meet that's it See what they say. Now, if you go through all of your attempted family members and you get a donut, nobody has a white friend. That would be something to think on. They all have met white people. They all have contact with white people. Nobody has a white friend. Hmm. That would be my suggestion to deal with that. But I mean, they had a whole... They had a whole riot in Chicago start for just that. Racist children drown a black child. That's that's one you can think about. And they talk about progress, how much progress we've made. That would be another report, too. If I had uh, children, oh, man, they would have to. At some point, you know, you're going to have to do a report on the history of swimming pools and racism all over the world because they got incidents like this in South Africa we just talked about Bruce's Beach in California it is a long terroristic history of this all over the world to put this in context teach your children to swim more importantly teach them about racism white supremacy what it means to be white Weekly compensatory call in if you have commentary to share the number six zero five three one three five one six four the code five six four nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate the number again six zero five three one three five one six four the code five six four nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate before we get to other comments Folks wrote in as well until justice at gmail.com. If you need the email address, uh, I did think you all can share your thoughts. I'm still pondering on this myself. Reading is more important than watching television. There's nothing incorrect about sharing books. Mr. Fuller's book, Dr. Welsing's book, both myriads of other books that have been written about 
white supremacy racism and or any other subject matters I noted there are a number of folks not hordes but there are people they post lots of pictures of Mr. Fuller and Dr. Welsing's book specifically and sometimes they'll post pages from them and or they'll post the book my thought with that was that is interesting nothing incorrect but I did think those books Mr. Fuller's book unless I'm in error that book was first published about 40 years ago unless I'm in error Dr. Welsing's book first published approximately 30 years ago I think Mr. Fuller's book updated about a decade ago maybe a tad more at this point but the word guide and then the update approximately uh, 10 years from the update but the original publication of the code book approximately 40 years ago these are not new books not new concepts for the most part Mr. Fuller's been updated but the basic framework is not new my thought process generally speaking white people update and build on concepts works either the original founders of the concepts and or the next generation of scholars and that sort of things it builds it's generally not citing I mean Lothrop Stoddard the rising tide of color against white world supremacy you generally don't see racists posting that every day they've had so many updates since even uh, what is it the Turner Diaries even from then you have updates more recent racist scholarship melanin apocalypse they have more recent scholarship you still have your your classics and what have you Madison Grant the passing of the great race Mein Kampf you still have your classics and such but I mean they they do a lot of updating generally speaking lots of updating additional reading I guess that would be another way of phrasing that there would be more read and newer information to stack on just an observation maybe the newer information is there and I just you know missed it but just an observation these are or it really it just stuck that these are not new books these concepts have been around for a while just gave me something to think about anyway uh, news information uh, that we heard there were many many things that happened uh, over the course of the week a uh, few things I'll touch on and then we can get to the folks who dialed in one I mentioned it yesterday I think a few times before uh, <clears throat> Z's mom said Z willing to chat with us for the update I think I had mentioned that before about let's have the children check in again since we've had three or almost four at this point years of COVID and the pandemic might be coming back this autumn who knows let's check in again and see how things have evolved since we spoke last I think that was 2021 and since they've talked about the dip in test scores like how has it been academically how are they feeling about what they've learned over this time period has it been about the same has it been more challenging have they been in class like all of masks all of that then even with what we heard today about the number of children that are overdosing from fentanyl man gotta ask about that now like my goodness like is that has that come up in the schools 
my goodness, do you know folks that, you know, doing the, the pills or since they got cannabis everywhere and that's about to be switched, didn't even get that in. That's about, or they're talking about changing that cannabis, lowering its drug scheduling so that they can do more testing and maybe even have it be recreational in more places. Perhaps we'll have to see, but just lots of things to investigate. I said, probably to give folks uh, some time to get back into school so we can add what the new academic year looks like probably like two weeks from now if folks have a preference for date or time but if you have offspring yourself if you know non-white children you have nieces nephews cousins non-white children that live in the neighborhood that you come into contact with if they would like to share uh, what their now three plus years of COVID schooling has been like what that impact has been uh, for them let us know and we will just get a date and time picked if you have a preference for date and time uh, sometime after about the two week I said maybe third week of September somewhere in there or afterwards if you have a preference for date time let me know weekend weekday we'll see if we can make it happen Uh, let's see with specific uh, reports that we heard uh, the <clears throat> the fire in South Africa. One, they said that this was at the African Heritage Building. I think is is how it's uh, titled. This during the so-called apartheid era. This was where the Negros in South Africa, Kaffirs, they're not Negros. Sorry, I do know it there. The Kaffirs they were required to go to this building to get uh, paperwork so that they would be legally allowed to enter white people's residences in South Africa. South Africa, I would say it's global system, but South Africa, I'd say is important to study too, because that's a place where for a very long time, there have been a very small population of individuals classified as white, but no one in the universe disputes. Oh yeah. White supremacy rate is like, that's almost when they talk about racism, that's one of the few places that they mean. They mean racism is in like Alabama, Mississippi, South Africa, maybe a little bit in Palestine. That's about it. We pretty much got this thing licked now. That's what they say. And you got like 10 white people in South Africa, but they dominate everything. And <clears throat> it's almost still that way. They had <clears throat> like 21st century reports about black people wandering into white neighborhoods to clean or whatever and you're still in my water bang Trayvon Martin type of a thing but they said <clears throat> so this building that's the historical context of this building that's now they call it a uh, they said they got dark buildings and they said they call them that because there's no electricity or they got some sort of unlawful electrical hookup for the building and these people go there and they are squatters basically some of them I guess born in South Africa and some of the folks from different parts uh, of the continent but I suspect these are all now I haven't seen photographs but I suspect this suspect 74 people that died in this fire it could have been all non-white people all individuals classified as black specifically who died and I know they got so called colored uh, people and all that but I'm pretty sure they didn't have no white people squatting uh, in this facility. Now, even in the report that we heard, and, and that was uh, 
South African uh, radio, talk radio. Even there, they did not mention racism at all. You heard uh, apartheid. They didn't even say white flight. They said, what happened? How did it get this way? We're so expensive in downtown Joburg. And, you know, how did it get this way? We got all these dark properties. And they said, well, you know, after apartheid, you know, we had uh, flight from the area, you know, and the money went out to the suburbs and places in North Joburg and all the rest of it. And now it's squalor and all that. No mention of white supremacy or racism at all. They don't even use the tacky cliche that they use here on this side of the planet white flight they just dropped the important term and I just got flight which would in my view be a metaphor nobody got wings right they didn't you know flutter away you mean the individuals classified as white absconded gotcha and they say oh yeah they didn't really do too many programs and old Madiba the little teaspoon of time that he was there they did some old programs for affordable housing on the outskirts of Joburg and then that stopped they didn't do too much of it now we got these dark properties and the fires that even uh, remind remember Grenfell even though that was not a dark property uh, in England but same type of thing where they put some old structure up and it's poorly maintained and they stuff a bunch of non-white people and they go oh my god God, a catastrophe. They have a whole, they have whole literally books about just that, where they put these old raggedy structures up and or warehouse non-white people in some old death trap, as they call it. And the whole thing burns up. They, I mean, this is like Chicago for decades. Ta-Nehisi Coates, uh, Beryl Satter, she was a guest on that program 2015. She talked about this exactly. That's another one you want to put in for progress. But that was South Africa uh, this week. Important. Another il- uh, illustration of white terrorism. Uh, let's see. Then trying to go. They had the segment in Kansas right on the border. Kansas, Missouri. This is the Kansas side. Well, actually, it does go into the Missouri side with the missing black females. Uh, Janie Crosdale, uh, she was found in a barrel. That was the one where they had to give out the alert a couple days back. Literally, just a couple days ago, we were talking about this, and they gave out the alert. Hey, if you're out kayaking or fishing or anything, uh, you see a barrel, be on the lookout. Let us know. They are stuffing niggers in barrels. Progress. This, uh, This is Obama's white mother's land, right? The Kansas side of it, anyway. Mike Brown is the Missouri side. So they go to do this story and they start off. This is uh, KCUR, Kansas Public Radio. They say Kansas side. They say they are going to add humanity to Miss Crosdale. You know, and even I think some of the listeners talked about like, man, they got this old grainy photo of her. And why does it, it the original? They've got some better pics of her now, thankfully. But they got this old grainy photo. And we asked about that. Uh, Toriano Porter told he's like, man, yeah, I think they got like an arrest photo or something, you know, unflattering, which seems to be a pattern with non-white people. Even in death, they go get some old gruesome photo or when they locked you up for some bogus charge or what have you. So they say we're going to go about her life so people can know who she was and all that. Fine. No problem. Great. Then they get into the why of all this. Now, what is the reason that was there a different response? We talked about all this. In fact, uh, Bishop Caldwell was a guest on our program when they said last autumn talked about all that. 
Laura McDonald was a guest on the program, Bishop Caldwell. We just followed up again. Toriano Porter, keeping up with all of this over that time period. Cannot wait for Timothy Hatchett's trial. Ooh, glued. But when we talked about all of this, and uh, Bishop Caldwell, KC Defender, Mr. Porter, uh, was just talking about them as well, black newspaper in that area. When they first raised these concerns, it was, you know what you're talking about. They did a whole story in the news. You know what you're talking about. Get out of here. You're sure, uh, uh, trafficking in rumor and innuendo. And get on out of here. Nobody wants to hear from old privileged black male uh, Bishop Caldwell. Get on out of here. You know what you're talking about. And then black female runs out of the, oh, my God, she's got a dog collar and all the rest of this. And then they go arrest Mr. Hatchett. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I say now why did this happen they didn't even bring up the tacky phrase white missing white woman syndrome true crime community they love that they put that in all their films now Ted Bundy or anybody there yes 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 the reason Dahmer was so successful even uh, the Green River Killer reason he was so successful going after lots of women nobody cared about non-white females that don't matter yes they didn't even get that old tacky phrase in I said, well, was it, what do you think it was? Did, did the black females not matter? He said, well, you know, even us at the newspaper, that was Peggy Lowe and Chris Saunders. Make sure I get both of the names. Uh, Peggy Lowe, for sure, one of them. And then the other one, I think I did get it. Chris, oh, it was Chris Waters. Peggy Lowe, Chris Waters. Anyway, both white women, I believe. I'll double check. I know Peggy Lowe is white. I already investigated. I say, well, you know, we wrote for the Kansas City Star, the same paper, the, uh, paper that Mr. Porter reports for now. She says, you know, we would go to our editor and say, hey, you know, we got the street worker and she's missing. <laughs> White women, yes, blonde hair. Blonde. And I said, time out. Now, are all of the black females that go missing, are they all street workers? I don't know. I've seen the same sort of, you know, just that. I just told you. It was a white child that tried to drown a black teenager. I had to struggle to find audio to share. Was he a street worker too? Was he peddling fentanyl and crack before he got in the pool? That may be, you know, we get a early start. I'm just saying they didn't include that in the report. But I mean, I don't think all of the black females that go missing or get killed are peddling crack or criminals. It seems even a number of white women that are criminals engaged in mischief, Sue Cleveland, they still get lots of sympathy. Anyway, that was one part of it. And then when they said so, asking both of these, I think both white women, they say so, do you think it was racist? Or why do you think it was? What what do you think was the problem? Did they not value? Because they didn't say racism. Do Do you think they really didn't value these black females they said well back in the day yes I think that probably was true back in the day I said well back in the do you mean like back in the day like autumn of 2022 back in the day when they were telling the KC Defender and Bishop Caldwell and all the other folks in that area who were saying that there was a problem and they were telling them to shut the hell up you mean then back in the day or do you mean like in the 80s back in the day I was very confused about that one. I would appreciate it. Maybe they could have just put a date, a date on it or have just said it's a continuum. It seems to be a long running pattern of disconcern for black females, maybe black people in general. 
This is close to uh, Roger Golubsky territory. They didn't mention his name either. We got. They said we got the abbreviated version of the conversation. Maybe maybe we need to hear the whole thing. But man, mm, it left quite a bit to be desired. Let's see. They got the segment about the children overdosing on fentanyl. Man. I had not really considered. Now, I mean, hey, I'm very aware that's all been promoted in the music, television. John Patash talked about and wrote about uh, all of this. He is an addiction counselor by trade. And then he's written several books. The second one, Drugs as Weapons Against Us, where he talked about all of this exactly. And that book is like a decade old now, uh, where he said uh, kind of popularizing drug use cannabis leading the way in all this that hey it's no harm this is great particularly getting a lot of young children to think this way uh, about narcotic consumption and making it all recreational whatever that means uh, and then making it all very easily accessible and having it in the music and that's way beyond the cannabis that's all of it the Percocets and all these drugs that they put in all of the music and made popular for decades at this point Maybe I shouldn't be surprised that children overdosing on fentanyl. You got to have Narcan dispensers in middle school. Man, that would be another one on the list of 200 questions before we get to the bedroom. Man, are we going to have to have Narcan in the house for our child? What is the plan to make sure we don't need Narcan in the house for our child. Man, no shield. You have to talk to your children about lots of that. I think they were saying that in the report, like, I can't even imagine that we are having to sit here and have this conversation with 14-year-olds. Two grams of this can kill you. Man, they even Columbine they said they had the patch at school where they could smoke. We had listeners who said they had the same thing and they could smoke, not just cigarettes, wacky tobacco too. All of that's illegal. Even if it is legally, uh, recreational use is legal in your state, that is not legal. Even the cigarettes is not legal. Why is that allowed? That permissiveness just flows through and through to the Percocets and Oxycontin and everything else. Of course, the white children are going to have really easy access to this. And then it follows to the Negros as well. So, wow, that would definitely be another one to add to the conversation with the little people when they come to visit with us later this month. You should be talking to your children about this, too. They came back and talked about the uh, affordability of all of this. Now, Narcan is not made by the same company, Amphistar Pharmaceuticals, that Gus T said, hey, my stock tip shining have to double check to see to do a comparison maybe i should have picked a better narcan or company distributing remedies for these white people suffering from the opioid crisis but either way you're about to come up that would have been a great one to invest in back when i was talking about amphistar pharmaceuticals you would have came up i bet no doubt about it six years on oh my god and it's just up and up and up all of that too connected to white genetic annihilation I submit I think Dr. Welsing too why are they taking all these drugs why, 
while the depression, while the foreboding. Oh, mm. let's see the. The trial of Ralph Yarb. Again, Mama C noted this. Uh, young mommy, new mommy, even took time with her brain computer, everything that she has to think about, and said, All of that stuff is happening in the same area with Roger Golubsky and Ralph Yarl and Janie Crosdale and Timothy Hatchett Jr. All of this is in the same area. Yes, yes. All of this is in the same area. Ralph Yarl, the 16-year-old white man shot him. He just went to the wrong address. What kind of Neanderthal teen is this? You leave the house and don't have your phone? What in the world? Who does that anymore? Like it's 1995 or something? So he leaves. That's what they're going to do a trial to. Like, that'll be your... Why did you leave without your phone? Mm -hmm. Up to no good? Mm -hmm. Didn't want to be tracked? Mm -hmm. Anyway, they go through with uh, Ralph Yarl. This white man is going to be charged, which shouldn't be surprising i think you should be right and so they go to and they say well don't you you've got inconsistencies in your statement old ralph yarl seems like you're making this up as you go did you touch the door you didn't touch the door did you or didn't you did you or didn't you and he said well you know uh i just had brain surgery so i was a little discombobulated brain surgery will do that to you he calmed himself and went on with his testimony. I will say, when you go to a court of law after a white man has shot you in your brain computer and you happen to survive, when you go to testify about all of this, they don't say, do you swear to tell your truth? They say, swear to tell the truth. I've said for years, I am no supporter of that jargon, your truth, my truth. That makes it as though everything is subjective. Hey, man, it's not subjective. You shot me in my brain. That's not my truth. That is. That's the way you put it down in court. You know, well, Your Honor, I just want to give my truth this afternoon. That's not the way you go to court and do the Johnny Cochran victory. No, you don't. Johnny Cochran, pause, pause, pause. Words are important. Practice. We're going to do this again. You never say your truth. The truth. Let's see. They said Rolling Stone got the scoop on the Jacksonville shooting. I mean, I guess. I don't know. I, when I think of Rolling Stone, the first thing I think of is UVA and all their false reporting about white women victims and, oh, the fraternity, they did her so wrong. And, all, and then they had to do all that apologizing and retracting and all of that. Like, really? The Rolling Stone? That's who we're going to trust with the breaking story here? Why not give it to Alex Jones? Maybe I'm being overly critical. My bad. Um, they said that this shooter down in Jacksonville, white man, 21 years old, dropout. Man, I've heard all this before. 
they dropped out of school and all the rest that we talked about. Even our guest, Dr. Bartley, on Tuesday said, man, I totally think he dropped out of school. I'm going to go get these niggers. They think that they're going to be rising and melanated scholars. And I got something for you. Got my AR-15. And they thwarted and they saw it. They were alert. Saw him putting on his tactical vest and all the rest of it. Reported to security. And they, whoa, were able to stop all that. But he said, oh, yeah, I think that's totally what it was. I'm a lame, no-count loser, just like somebody we've been reading about. I'm a lame, no-count loser. He's probably flunking Jim, too. And, in fact, they said he worshipped serial killers. I said, ooh-wee, give me my wallet. How much you want to put down? He mentioned Columbine. How much do you want to put down? Like, oh, my goodness, I feel... I feel like, what's my man Bill Gates? Like, oh my goodness, how much you want to put down? Columbine got mentioned. Like, if I had to pick, who do I think got mentioned? Let me get Rufy. I put a whole lot of money down on Rufy. Uh, let me see. I take Rufy. I take uh, Tops. Old Gendron. Let me get Gendron. Let me get Rufy. Let me get my Columbine cowards. I take all three of them. In fact, triple it. I do it Vegas style. Triple up. Let me get all three. I think I'd easy put a hundred down. You could get all three of those. Probably some other people I could think of, but for sure, Rufy, Gendron, Columbine. Let's see the manifesto. They said next couple of, let's see the manifesto. Another illiterate dropout white guy got to write and tell us about the Negras and Eminem. Let's see. Man, speaking of did not report now in a week with all of this. They just sat there and talked about Dr. King on, what was that, Monday? They just did all that, the march on Washington. They had a white man with firearms trying to get into a Negro church, Greater Dominion Church in Pennsylvania. And they just had the synagogue attack. That was in Pennsylvania. They were just talking about that with the sentencing of the uh, white terrorists in that case. I didn't really hear a whole lot of reporting about that either. And even to come back and say, hey, shut up. Negroes talking about you think the church is under attack, mad because we didn't follow up with them. And we don't think there's any evidence. This is a white man with substance abuse problems. He's on opioids. We need to get him help. This is talking about your folks even the way that that when you said he says his folks they're concerned think people are mistreating them based on the color of their skin okay so let asada or leroy or both you got the duo sometimes dyad as they call it let them show up in front of the white church with firearms and let them say, well, you know, Leroy, he's he's had a long crack cocaine problem. And this is not a race issue. He does not hate Whitey. He just needs a little time. I'm going to get him a little service, slice of watermelon, and Leroy is going to be good to go. You just wait and see. This is not reverse racism. Calm down. I have a vivid imagination, but it is not that extreme. Uh, and then, as I said, the 14-year-old drowning, much obliged listener uh, who shared. I'm not really sure. what. There's no shield. I can only say that again. 
hopefully we'll have our children on the program later this month or children can come visit in and uh, see if they were able to talk about that incident in advance. But there is no shield. We are on the system in the system of white supremacy, racism and racist mistreat non-white people, period. They shot a pregnant black female, Takia Young. I don't think they shoot a whole lot of pregnant white women either, but there is no safe area. There is no shield. Just have to be as honest about that as we possibly can. Lots to talk about before you get to the bread bedroom. Lots to talk about before you get to the bedroom. Number again, 605-313-5164. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Let's see. Have one email I will share as well. I forgot uh, listener was able to get out to the museums uh, or not museum. Let me shut up. Shush and read the report. <laughs> he wrote in. Um, doot, doot, doot. Okay. Listener wrote in recently. I visited the International African-American Museum. It is located in Charleston Harbor in the Charleston Harbor area near where the there are excursions to Fort Sumter. It was 20 years in the making at a cost of more than $125 million. It opened in June of this year. The idea for the museum was initiated by suspected racist former Charleston Mayor Joseph P. Riley Jr. A parking garage is nearby in walking distance with a fee, of course. Tickets are reserved and were $19 per adult, cheaper for children and seniors. It is a large rectangular brown structure. I did not see any signs on the building of its name. There were signs on the grounds declaring this is sacred ground. I think it refers to the fact that it is located at Gadsden's Wharf, where it's estimated that 45% of slaves entered the, entered the North America. It looks over Charleston Harbor. The museum exhibits are on the second floor, which is accessed by stairs or elevator. There were not any tour guides. Thus, I cannot report any swell fellow delectable Negro. Uh, there are nine core galleries, 700 artifacts dating back to the 17th century, 1,000 images and media installations. Video. The museum combines well-known aspects which are unique to Charleston and South Carolina, such as Robert Smalls and his daring escape on the Confederate ship The Planter in Charleston Harbor as a prelude to the Civil War, making of sweet grass buckets, the Gula language and culture, Denmark Vesey, the celebrated iron gates made by craftsman Philip Simmons, and the Mother Emanuel Massacre, displays of the torturous conditions under which the victims were forced to work under during the antebellum in the South in South Carolina are also displayed. There are multiple displays of events from the United States proper which are not directly related to Charleston. Recordings of slave narratives from the Federal Writers Project are also a part of the exhibition. There are also displays involving both African continent and modern African-American art, which I found interesting. I think all of this is done in order to give it a so-called international theme. A program which I think is going to be a large part of the promotion of the museum is 
genealogy or a finding your roots theme as promoted by professor gates on his pbs program you can schedule a virtual visit with a genealogist after providing some initial information (laughs) pause right there like yikes that is man i would not be interested in that we talked about that uh dorothy roberts has been a guest on the program repeatedly uh third time she was a guest on the program 2011 we talked about her book fatal invention where she talked about this explicitly uh where they get uh skip gates dr skip gates cowbell uh they will get this non-white male victim of racism and promote this program mad people in the true crime community know they go and stuff your DNA in these old data banks and then enforcement officers end up getting access to this and all this other old nonsense or them selling it to people and they're trying to clone a dinosaur or what have you and let me borrow some of your DNA you're not going to use that come on come on come on come on I just wanted to see the artifact I didn't come to do no DNA test and oh, we've had a number of our guests uh, talk about this before even some of our recent white guests uh, have talked about this like come on Eric, Dr. Erica K. Jackson talked about that Nordic white woman continues uh there were no mentions of john calhoun pitchfork now come on how you have a south carolina museum and you don't mention ben tillman that's eight letter grade deduction right there uh old strom thurman which is not surprising and of course the current systematic displacement of african americans from this region from previous cows broadcasts i have concluded that it is impossible to understand the history of this region without mentioning these exalted figures of racist white supremacists they got statues all throughout the town how i think most of what is presented is familiar to most cows listeners i have not been to the dc museum me either thus i cannot compare them i hope to visit the dc one at some point in any event, since I visit this region often, I will probably visit special exhibitions when they have them, as well as workshops that allow one to ask questions of museum experts. All in all, I think it was a constructive experience. I know we have uh, a number of listeners who've done different projects where they go uh, to various museums to study racism, white supremacy. They had a big kerfuffle uh, at some of the museums uh, this past past couple of days where objects were stolen and then they were supposed to give them back to the people that they stole them from to begin with non-white people and all the rest of it I think a white man had to resign and oh, it's always something at the museum but go study you can write a report even if it's not to share with us you can write a report do a vlog uh, you could do a blog. You could just do a personal, you know, write up for yourself. I talk about family research projects. You could go find something or a theme or what have you that you want to continue to explore. Lots, uh, just anything to switch it up. Not just going to sit in front of this TV. Go and learn. That's a great way to learn about local, the local system of white supremacy racism, uh, and to have some local research and reading material and even ways to explain white supremacy racism now real talk i'm sure he could name everything at the museum but i mean george stenny should have been there too now if we want to get macabre and do our true crime role get the electric chair and put that in there like hey this is what we brag about in south carolina we do not tolerate raping privileged niggers. i don't care how old they are 14 15 5 whatever get you on out of here hmm maybe they got him to admit that special exhibit is coming the frying of George Stenny. Call it just that. The frying of George Stenny.
Delectable Negro. 605-313-5164, the code 564-943-POUND. Uh, press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, let's see, not for spectators, see if folks have commentary to share or if they are hanging out for their Labor Day weekend. Let's see. Oh, spectate, I don't know if they're doing their hot dogs and all the rest for Labor Day weekend. Uh, we'll get folks... Uh, I don't know, five minutes or so if they have thoughts, observations uh, that they would like to share or if they're just hanging out and spectating for the weekend. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Lauren, hand up, should be with us. Yeah, commentary. Proceed. Yes, sir. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Hello? Yes, Yes, ma'am. Sorry. Yes, ma'am. Okay. It's okay. Um, Good evening, and um, thank you for allowing me to speak. Um, As far as the segment that you played um, at the beginning, the Proud Boys came up, um, Edward Nordine, and they were talking about him and the other guy, and they talked about the sentences that they received. Um, Enrique Tario, he's supposed to be, I forget what the name of his position is, but he's supposed to be the head of the Proud Boys. But this is a non-white person, and he has not been sentenced yet. So I've been waiting on that because I want to see if the sentence that they give him is going to be higher than the sentences that they gave the white people. Um, Greece, the, the white people blaming the migrants for the wildfires. That part was super interesting to me because um, there was a white man. Well, I thought he was a white man and he had a video. And, um, you know, in this video, it, it said that he had taken, what did he call him? Let me see. In the video that went viral, a local man says he's caught several, quote, pieces who he claims without evidence were setting fires. He opens the door to his windowless trailer and shows the people he's captured. Now, this person was holding 13 people captive. Uh, NPR described them as Syrians and Pakistanis. I'm going to go ahead and use the term non-white. He had 13 non-white people that were being held captive. And when the police saw the video, law enforcement, when law enforcement sees the video, they go and see that uh, this white man and two other white men are holding these 13 non-white people captive. They uh, allegedly, I don't know if they use the term arrested, but they say um, they, they took the white man into custody or whatever or put some charges on him for holding these people captive. But then they took testimony from the white people who were holding them captive and used that testimony to put arson charges on the non-white people. That is, wow. You know, I was just like imagining, you know, what, what if when they had arrested Timothy Haslett and he told them something about the black female that he was holding hostage and then they took his testimony and put some charges on hers, that would be analogous. Um, I also noted in Johannesburg, they call those buildings dark buildings. Um, and I noticed that they were having white vans pick up the non-white people to take them to the safe, sober living facility. Um, when they were talking about fentanyl and schools and how many teenagers it's killing, they said, like, uh, the number of overdose deaths 
from fentanyl had nearly tripled from 2019. That is a lot. And only 60% of teens got drug education in schools. Um, and somebody, I think you talked about this, but somebody said having these conversations can be the difference between life and death. Now, she was talking about fentanyl, but I think that is also the case with racism, white supremacy. I think, you know, we should talk to children about this, and that's difficult. Um, well, you know, I, the children in my, eh, it's, it's white people in uh, in my survival unit, you know, people just marry white people and they have non-white children with a white parent. It's pretty difficult um, to talk to them, to talk to them about racism. So that makes it a little complicated on my end. Um, yeah. Um, when they were talking about Timothy Hazlitt, that the people who were talking about that, that, that would have been Kansas, right? Um, the lady said, anytime people have to deal with law enforcement, it can make them very nervous, especially if they live in the urban core. I don't really know what the urban core is, but it sounds like where non-white people are warehoused. And then she also said something I thought was super, I don't want to say offensive, but it seems, you know what, racist. That's, that's the best thing I can call it. She said, taking pictures on the street is a good way to get a bullet in your brain. And then she said, what if you're on the run from your violent baby daddy? I was like, she's talking about black females. I don't think she was talking about white females with that one. Um, Andrew Lester, uh, the white man who shot Ralph Yarl, <laughs> I think I've said it before, but, you know, he said he was afraid that he was going to be robbed um, by Ralph Yarl. It's just, if that's the case, why did he open the door? I don't understand that, and I don't I don't accept what he's saying is true. Um the the killer in Jacksonville, Florida, the guy who the white man who went to the Dollar General. Um, I did note that it said he was hoping for a race war. Um, Missouri State prisons not allowing inmates to get books from friends and family, and they said the reason they were doing this is because they didn't want anyone to smuggle drugs to the prisoners, but. It's not like people are allowed to just mail books directly anymore. They have to send them from Amazon or Barnes & Noble or some sort of other vendor. It's not drugs in there. And those people just don't want people in greater confinement to read books. Um, I don't have social media, but you were talking about people posting pictures of um, Dr. Welsing's and Mr. Fuller's books. Um you know, um, I might have missed a part of that. And, you know, you did talk about, um, you know, these concepts being old. And, and that's true. Um, but in my experience, I do not meet very many people who are familiar with these concepts. And even myself, I, you know, once I had heard of Mr. Fuller, I had listened to him speak for years. It took me years after I knew about Mr. Fuller to read the book. Um, someone bought it for me, and it still took me a long time to read the book. I have, you know, I have sent Mr. Fuller's work to several people, my mom, um, my cousins, schoolmates, et cetera, 
none of them have read the book. And I mean zero. So, and I even have a schoolmate who was working on getting her PhD. Like she studies um, psychology. She was not interested at all in reading Dr. Wellesley's work. So um, there's that. And, and also just as a, a correction, two milligrams of fentanyl can be fatal, not two grams. And that's all I have right now. Thank you. Woo, I'm trying to kill the whole world. Two grams. I don't know how many people you can kill with that. That's probably the whole school. That's that's like Columbine. You kill the whole school with two grams of fentanyl. Woo. Strive for accuracy. Much obliged, uh, Lauren. Uh, I have to see how many how many people could you kill with two grams of fentanyl. I have to check. See how many. Doses. That would just be a thousand times more. Whew, man, man. Man, the whole school, yeah, <laughs> kill the whole school, kill the whole school. Anyway, uh, much obliged, uh, Lauren. Uh, yeah, that I do bump into lots of people who own these books. Well, I can't even just say these two. I bump into many people who own constructive books that they do not read. That is very common. Racists would be most to blame. Um, yeah, that is very common. Even even situations like what you said, where uh, have an attempted family member and they're studying psychology, and hey, black psychologist right here walked in your footsteps. Metaphor. <laughs> that is <sighs> race soldiers have done a phenomenal job. But even with that, I still like, dang, in 40 years, like, you haven't done it better. It staggers. It staggers the mind. Uh, at any rate, much obliged. Woo, Lauren, uh, they did say white vans were going around to snatch these non-white people uh, for the bogus uh sobriety programs they're gonna get you off of these drugs get everything taken care of and all the rest of it Mm. white people in white vans double whammy run 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 (laughs) if you if you can't run call someone to give you a ride ask for help but i am good (laughs) run 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 and asking questions. I think that was how I think they were talking to one of the non-white females there. And she said, just asking questions like, what did that person? I've seen these vans. What did he ask you? I'm like, oh, okay. Asking questions sometimes is can do a lot just so that you can be a little bit more informed about what, you know, what is happening around you. What's happening right in front. Of you. I'm seeing these van, these white vans all the time and they're coming up to talk to non-white people that in and of itself should be a reason for suspicion like what are you doing why are you here why are you talking and then the people that you come talk to what happened like yeah I don't even see him and where did he what's going on just ask a question be observed same thing I said really about checking the uh, local news so that you can be informed about things that are happening around you be aware racism white supremacy and other constructive information same type of a thing but yes be 
curious about things that are happening around you involving white people, white vans, um, perhaps the white foods even. I don't know. Let's see. Number again, 605-313-5164. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Sobriety would be best. Checkpoints uh, will be out for the weekend. Incidentally, the uh, books, I was not even going to include that. I shared it. I shared it earlier in the week. I was not aware that the book situation, that's happening in the same area, right? That's Missouri. So that's the same area with uh, Ralph Yarrow and Mike Brown uh, and the missing black females because that spilled over into the Missouri side as well. So that's, you know, all same region. Uh, but I was not aware that I had audio discussing we're not going to allow inmates to have these books. And I know some other listeners talked about that, like, my goodness, like just as they were saying in the report, like you got, you know, these folks in greater confinement for some folks, you make it all extremely expensive to make phone calls. Uh, you disallow visits frequently. You put them in all these really far locations where it's a really great distance for their relatives and people who care about them to access them. Often this is done on purpose. This is in the book on Daryl Hunt that uh, Phoebe Zerwick, we just talked about this week. Uh, so they don't have access to very many folks at all. And then with COVID the past few years, they discontinued visits in a lot of places. In some places they haven't even brought that back yet. They just went to like zoom conferences and that sort of thing. So they have kind of limited access as they said to the outside world. I mean, Hey, some perspectives, that's what we want. But I mean, a book, Harry Potter, do some reading. And, and then to justify it with, drugs that's how the drugs are being smuggled into the prisons in the books mm. <laughs> I don't I don't know I think I think Lauren she said yeah I think most of the books you got to do the the Amazon and borders or whatever like you can't just do an old Hey, I got a spare copy of the code book. I'm going to get that. Incidentally, I even heard Mr. Fuller say that he tried to send copies of his book to victims in greater confinement and presumably white correctional officers, so-called, would decline and send it back. And the reason he said they would explain and say, you know, we can't have this here. We're not allowing this here is because it advocates violence. He would say, what are you talking about? It's. My suggestions for counterviolence, what are you talking about? It does not advocate. I said, ah, ah, here you go. Contraband. Sound like reading is more important than watching television. I have literally heard them talk about the importance of having TV in greater confinement to help keep control of inmates. And heard white people even grouse about that, that they've got TV and all that. I don't even have TV. My wife doesn't have big TV and all that. They could sit in here and lift weights and watch TV. 
books. Books. They even had books in Shawshank Redemption, man. Got the whole library so they can go in and jam. Remember that one? Good old Morgan Freeman. Books, man. Reading way more important than watching television. Also in Missouri. Uh, let's see. Other folks, they have commentary to share. Uh, star six one, star six one uh, thoughts, observations, uh, <laughs> observations for the so-called Labor Day weekend as well. Give folks uh, about five. They have other things to share and or if they're just uh, spectating. Let's see. Same folks are spectating getting ready for the holiday shindig or all the rest of it I suspect Um, while folks are waiting or thinking if they have questions observations to share we had a listener who asked about I guess a non or excuse me a suspected racist came to fuss at accost a different non-white person and say that it's not racism it's class very common hear that all the time even hear that from a lot of victims uh she said what uh have you all talked about that on specific programs and that type of thing absolutely in fact i gave her the program from just last week dr david uh herzberg we talked about talking about opioids and all that today uh we talked about uh the book that he co-authored on the racist history of drug laws in this part of the world and a big part of that program we didn't even get to cover as much of the book as I wanted because we talked about so much of the book where they make comparisons between poor white people and how they have been uh, victimized in what not not the drug not the drug war component but in with pharmaceutical drugs and that sort of thing, how they've been victimized in that way. And he has passages in the book that suggest certain sections of white people, poor white people basically uh, are treated like Negroes. And like that is not true at all. And we got some of the quotes that I love to refute that on the program. And I think I read even some of the callers who dialed. I think Lauren was on that program. Even some of the callers who dialed in to question Dr. Herzberg, white man, racist suspect, said they had other questions that they wanted to ask. But he was talking so much about, you know, these poor white people and interrogating that what he said in the book where she said, uh, so the white people in Appalachia, the down and out poor, downtrodden, crank addicted white people, do you think they're being mistreated because they are trying to practice justice? They don't want to mistreat the Negroes. That's why they're being mistreated. He said, oh, whoa, no, 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 I'm not. No, 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 Def- definitely not. No, no, <laughs> like, uh, we didn't even she said the same thing I did. Like I had other questions about the drug component, but then she's doing all this talking about poor white people like, wait a minute, let's. <laughs> We'll get to that later. Let's let's get this poor white people thing straight, which was the same thinking that you know I had. Anyway, that was one that I uh, suggested because we had we talked about all of this directly, and this is recent, like days ago. Then I also uh, suggested uh, Vernelia Randall. Uh, she's been with us many times. She's with us during the Rona. She studies uh, health, racism altogether. Uh, but she was with us way back in the beginning, 2009. We talked about her book, Dying while black where she 
gives suggestions if you have to go to the hospital, any sort of health emergency, questions to ask, take someone healthy with you. They can observe, ask questions as well. They're more in their correct thinking mind. Uh, But on that program, she gave specific data. Same thing that happened with the program with Dr. Herzberg, but she gave specific data and explained uh, black people, so-called well-to-do black people who have a few more nickels, they have worse health outcomes than the poor off white people. And she went on to explain what does that mean? Why that again reinforces it is white supremacy. Racism is the problem. And even we even got newer data, the report on uh, some of the maternal mortality rates and how the health differences for wealthy black people are markedly worse than the health differences for poor white people recent debt like that's days ago published uh, data so those are some of the type of uh, tidbits I tried to share but that is very very common uh, we're non-white people victims of racism we have been kind of trained misled misinformed uh, to think that it is the Benjamins the coins that is the issue that if we just get enough of them we will be at justice problem will be solved wrong all the way through not even close let's see Uh, give folks another two minutes if they uh, are spectating have questions that they would like to ask or if they're ready to enjoy the uh, so-called Labor Day spectacle all the rest of it hopefully safely safely sobriety would be best Uh, let's see we'll be here Tuesday looking forward very much related to academics education new academic year Uh, we will discuss uh, white supremacy racism and even with all the hubbub that they're still going on about so-called affirmative action very well time looking forward for Tuesday thought we were going to be here for tomorrow uh, but I messed up with the date uh, but we're able to reschedule so we'll do that instead of Sunday tomorrow it'll be Uh, next Sunday the 10th will be here but that will also be uh, education focused Uh, so looking forward maybe get folks focused correctly for the new academic year Uh, maybe make sure you're talking to your children about racism white supremacy and uh, the opioid narcotics issue as well if it's that bad where they got to have Narcan in the middle schools and such and change the way that they approach talking about drugs and all like wow that is man lots of questions to ask before you get to the bedroom parenting once again the hardest job in the known universe being an attempted black parent I do not have children man the cows listener supported counter racist radio invest if you think the broadcast is constructive uh, hit the blog racism hyphen notes dot blogspot dot com racism hyphen notes dot blogspot dot com paypal button in the top right corner you'll see the links for Venmo paypal cash app in the top right much obliged for all the folks who have invested kept us on the air for 14 plus years hopefully 
worthy of your time and energy. Let's see. Other folks with a hand up if you have commentary to share. Line should be open. Proceed. Yes, sir. May I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. Um, I wanted to start out with the, uh, the, the segment about the, uh, the white terrorist shooter in Jacksonville. Uh, a lot of the news coverage in the area has been about the hurricane or tropical storm. Uh, but I have noticed that there is a trend where when something like this happens from uh, one of the uh, white shooters, notice some of the white um, people who comment on uh, posts, they'll say, oh, well, you know, you're just, you're, you're giving them too much exposure and people are going to follow this person and they'll try and use that kind of rational rationalization but I, I think that's also them practicing racism and uh, so that non-white people the victims won't discover what the uh, true problem is throughout the world um, and as far as the, the, the manifesto that was interesting how he's mentioning these different entertainers and things like that. And, uh, how he mentioned Clarence Thomas and, you know, it's like, is he trying to, what, say that he is what a white person is? I'm not entirely sure. Based on him being a conservative, I think that's the term that was used. Um, and uh, how that aspect of him flunking out of college, and I agree with that because I, I listened to the uh, program with Dr. Bartley and how he made the comment about the envy and the jealousy uh, that's, that uh, probably was with that shooter or in the shooter, I, I can definitely agree with that, how he was going to go to that campus and he wasn't able to to see. So let me go and try to go to where these black people are and they're so much smarter than me and I just can't take it, a, you know, however the case may be. Um, there was a, another audio segment where I think it was in San Antonio, Texas, where they were talking about the racial classification. And I, I, you know, I thought about that where how on the police reports they check off white. And sometimes, like, you know, where I work at, I print someone a police report and the person has melanin, right? And the last name might sound like a Spanish last name or somebody that's Indian or whatever, but the race will be checked off as white. So I'm just wondering if 
like what what amount of that statistic that they're saying is people that are white, I guess that they were studying for something and then really get the whole gist of it. Uh, but I, you know, I, I think about that from time to time and who is being classified as white, who would be accepted as white for a study like that. So I don't know if they could be using that to say that race isn't a factor in it. Cause that could be causing a lot of confusion. Um, but other than that, that's all I have to share for now. Thanks for allowing me to speak. Much obliged caller in Florida at the courthouse. Now, they did have uh, Hurricane Idalia, I think that's how you say it, um, did come through. They've been talking about that for days and, you know, big deal, dangerous situation. Um, in fact, I'd even contacted other folks in the Florida region uh, to come chat with us about what happened in Jacksonville. And they were like, Psh, we got a hurricane coming, man. We got problems, <laughs> which, hey, I mean, hey, some people had to evacuate and all the rest of it. So I do get that was a big deal. But man, I mean, if he had been able to access uh, Edward Waters University, the HBCU that was, you know, literally walking distance from that uh, Dollar General, I mean, we another school shooting. Man, uh, I, I I agree. I do not think that that. Uh, that this is something we, hey we don't want to give him a lot of unnecessary attention and like no 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 this is something when a white female goes missing they talk about it white people want to grouse and complain that they are victims of crime and we got to do something about this they talk about it they even talk about the so-called op- uh, opioid crisis something's got to be done about this we got to put that wall up or something they talk about it well white supremacy racism is the problem so it should be talked about I think they said they're uh, uh, attempting to hold some sort of hate crime conference in Jacksonville after the recent events I think I saw where uh, Al Sharpton and others were talking about that not that I need to be in attendance or what have you but I mean I certainly wouldn't call it a hate crime conference white supremacy racism conference white terrorist attack conference but all of that that is much better to me than well let's we don't want to talk about this too much that just draw attention to it anyway let's see as for my hypothetical wager it looks like i would have lost the rolling stone they again i don't know why they got the the scoop on this one but the rolling stone uh the report is i give out the t- i'll post it in case Folks want to uh, investigate. Jacksonville shooter wanted Eminem and Machine Gun Kelly to be killed on sight. His writings reveal. Even that's interesting. That's what I mean about why this is the lead because he didn't go to kill Eminem and Machine Gun Kelly. Like you can include that, but that's not the lead, in my opinion. I don't think that should be the lead. Uh, and they got their pictures and blazing. Put the victims up, put the Dollar General up. Put the uh, black security officer uh, for Edward Waters University. Put his picture up. Or TK, uh, uh, the sheriff. 
Sheriff TK put his or what is lots of images that you could put up. Sign a welcome to Jacksonville. Anything. Why do we need Eminem? Machine gun Kelly up. Like, oh man. Poor that okay, come on. Come on. Uh let's see. So I'm skipping down to the part beyond good old Eminem. The killer's writings shed light on his motivations and his vile, grandiose beliefs. And his screen in fact, put these folks picture up. That would be better. In his vi- in his screed he hoped for a race war and he praised fellow killers, including the Oklahoma City bomber Timothy McVeigh, affectionately known as Virgin McVeigh, the Norwegian summer camp killer Anders Breivik, I just mentioned, bomber, he did do some killing, he did do some shooting, but before he got to the summer camp, he bombed a federal building. And the Virginia Tech school shooter, uh, Sung Hui Choi, who was inspired by the Combine killers, talked about them repeatedly, even including the day of the massacre. So he did not pick Columbine, Rufi, Gendron. Uh, he looked down on the extremist group, the Boogaloo Boys, as LARPers, people only role-playing at spreading hate and he goes on to give a little bit more uh, details about his uh, attack and what have you Uh, they said they're supposed to I guess they'll release the whole manifesto which I would like to see at some point uh, so that way we can just read all of it let's see uh, mm, yeah we'll see the manifesto I guess at some point in the next week or so but yeah Rolling Stone has it. Uh, folks get the manifesto. Before I do, you can share. If I get it, I'll share online social media at Until Justice. And yeah, so that folks can read. Hey, they I think this, they said like 70 pages or something. The manifesto. Read it first, right? And certainly age appropriate. If I had a five, six year old, maybe I don't let them read it. But 17 year old? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, especially if they're not going back to school. They had another few weeks before they go back to school, or even if they did, like, oh, yeah, make sure you read this. We'll discuss. Make sure that you you read it. This had been like a month or so before where school is not in session. They're just sitting around on their phone, playing around all day, and that's like, oh, yeah. Then maybe read and write a one-page report. What is this guy talking about? He went and shot people. He shot a 19-year-old, man, and was right at that HBCU. Anyway, uh, let's see. Anybody else commentary they want to make sure uh, they share before we wrap up thoughts, questions, anything you, anybody have any uh, like codified responses if you're around a non-white person and they say, uh, look at here, Leroy, it is not racism, it is cash. That's all we got to do. I know that's some of the people who say, I don't want to read about no Neely Fuller Jr. or Dr. Welsing or nothing else. I'm trying to get these nickels, man. Neely Fuller ain't talking about getting these coins. Well, then later for, you know, whatever his name is, Fuller Neely or whatever. We'll get to him later. I'm trying to get these coins. I have heard that from many folks. So 
Yeah, got that. Any any folks have a code or codified response? What they do or information that they share or a set of questions that they ask. If you bump into a non-white person and they do the it's it's cash, not white supremacy racism. May I have your hand? Lauren, yes, ma'am. Um, when people say that to me, I tend to have a series of questions, but the most important question I ask is how many dollars does it take not to be a nigger anymore? Um, because Oprah has a lot of dollars, Michael Jordan has a lot of dollars. There are several black people who have a lot of dollars, and I think they're still niggers in a system of white supremacy. What what they say? What they say when you ask that one? How many nickels does it take to not be a nigger? What they say? Oh, I usually don't get an answer. Mm. 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 Hopefully, it's hard to tell, but hopefully, that means some thinking is going on. Hopefully, like it's hard to tell, you know, I don't like making assumptions because you never really know what people are thinking about. But hopefully mouth had to shut down for a little while. Mm. 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 I like that sometimes, sometimes I have to. I might have to reconsider. Ooh, good question. Good question. Good question. She said a series, though. So lead up and then bang. Love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, any other folks, if they have a codified response to how they deal with that when non-white people come and say it is not all this racism hubbub. Get you some nickels in your pocket. Get your bank account up and stop all your whining and blaming whitey for your problems uh anybody else any thoughts on that one uh give another minute or so before we wrap up again we'll be here on uh tuesday 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific Uh, let's see going back to make sure I didn't forget any of the uh, other comments from that folks also uh, were sharing in. I would encourage folks uh, to make sure they check on the shooting of uh, Takia Young that happened because I didn't really hear a whole lot. I know they just got the video footage and I am totally not interested in watching video footage of any black people be shot. I didn't watch I don't I just don't watch all that content. I've talked about that for a long time. I certainly am not interested in hearing about uh a black female being a uh, black pregnant black female being shot. I mean we had all this conversation about maternal mortality rates and have a pregnant black female shot and all of this is around uh, a suspicion, some sort of allegation of shoplifting. Like come on. But I would encourage folks to uh shit that it would be something else to discuss before getting to the bedroom we are in a system of white supremacy matter of fact we just talked about this we had that program uh, Dr. Madeline 
uh, Wazelcheck in her report those dogs when they, they had a police they got a canine vest for him this week they pitched in they had a fundraiser and they got him a tactical vest for one of the canines again but those dogs uh, in her report they let him off the leech leash he hopped the fence and tried to chomp on a black child who was on a trampoline so he couldn't access the child although he tried desperately couldn't get them so then he went and chomped the pregnant black mother who was watching her child uh, thankful that her daughter didn't get bit but then he comes and chomps on her I asked I think I did I asked her on the program I said do you have any reports knowledge of one of these dogs chomping on a pregnant white woman she said oh no no she no pussyfooting no hmm, let me think nope 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 they don't chomp on pregnant wife i said well you got that in the report where he went and chomped on a page she, yep 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 that's in there yep yep takia young black female pregnant pregnant black female and then they got that even that i had to pause like man that was the one where they gave the context and all the rest of it which man man i i do not watch any of that footage uh, they gave their, if you want to call it trigger warning, no pun intended, but I mean, I don't think they shoot pregnant white women. I was going to say, I don't think they put the video up for uh, pregnant white women when they get shot, but they don't shoot pregnant white women. They don't let the dogs chomp them. They don't get shot. They don't get arrested. I, maybe they get arrested. I don't know. You have to show me when pregnant white women are shackled, cuffed, dragged, you know, into the paddy wagon for whatever reason. I don't know. I'd have to see if they had any pregnant white chicks out at uh, January 6th. We shall see. Um, Oh, she said, speaking of January 6th, I did check uh, Lauren when she was talking the first time, uh, and she was talking about the non-white member Enrique uh, Tario. I think that's how you say it. Uh, She was going to be looking to see what his sentence is going to be because they've been saying that this non-white person that he's the ringleader he mastermind all this and she's saying what is since i think a number of listeners have been kind of following this case uh to see you know what what is this even are you trying to say you got a racist because they've had a number of examples of that a so-called non-white person who is a white supremacist leo felton type of a thing um, but a number of folks have said they're going to be watching this case. NPR reported a few days back. I think they said his his sentencing is going to be delayed. So, you know, I don't know if that fuels skepticism and or at minimum, there will be more time to wait. Anywho, uh, let's see. Uh, be here Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. White guests only as we move along into autumn 2023 uh, any other thoughts observations questions folks wanted to make sure they uh, share well um, I, I guess I would like to say I also sent Mr. Fuller's book to someone who is in the penitentiary they also did not read it did they get it or they just didn't read it yeah, they actually gave it to him, which oh. I was a little surprised. I didn't know if they were going to give it to him, but he got the book and didn't read it and told me he wasn't trying to blame white people for his problems. <laughs> and and he also he he also brought up like capitalism and money. I don't know. Hey, hey, that uh, uh, Doctor 
Sutherland, she was just with us. That was her parting comment. She was about to, to leave. We had talked about Dr. Welsing, racism. She said racism is white supremacy, and she really emphasized maternity. Shot a pregnant man. We didn't talk about it in that manner, but I mean, that's the same thing. Maternal mortality rates for black females. She emphasized that's racism right there. And then before she departed, she didn't say replace white supremacy with justice. <laughs> she didn't say if you don't understand white supremacy, racism, what it is, how it works, everything else will confuse you. She didn't say black self-respect. She said study capitalism. Very important. VGQ, Victims Guaranteed Qualified. I did learn quite a bit. I got that report that I cited with Dr. Herzberg, but I mean, man, and that's... <laughs> That just to me, white people have done an extraordinary job conditioning us. I mean, it is amazing. It's money. That's the problem. It's money. Look at old Clarence Thomas. They, that, I think uh, the, the, the white terrorist in Jacksonville, I think they said that, or it's not a thing he did. They said in the report, said that uh, uh, Judge Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas is the correct thinking, the one correct thinking justice that we have on the bench. Mm. Come on now. But they have done such an amazing job confounding us and thinking, yeah, because it's lots of black people that got money and they don't look out for us and that no count Obama doing the right thing. Yeah, that old no count Clarence Thomas. Yeah, we got uh, Vice President Kamala Harris now and, and all the rest of it and th- they do that on the continent too Madiba passed and they said, that old sellout Madiba he didn't care nothing about us they said they didn't get the, the housing that's why we gotta be squatters in the old apartheid building it's cash that's what it's really about confusion is rampant again the some of the programs that I pointed out where we have refuted that idea one, we just talked about this with David Herzberg, white man, backed him up where he said that explicitly. No, nope, no way. Wasn't trying to say that at all. That poor white people got it bad and comparing that nah, nah, wrong. Not at all. Vernelia Randall dying while black. We talked to it. Uh, talked to her about this as well. Uh, Thomas Shapiro, the hidden cost of being African-American. He, I mean, many, many times in ways that we've talked about this. Uh, over the year, Dr. Cambon, he was with us in one of his early visits where he talked about specifically how white people will use income as camouflage green to make it seem like our main motivating factor is finance, cash. That's not it at all. It is white supremacy, racism, always maintenance, expansion, refinement global system of white supremacy that is always always the main objective anywho much obliged uh, folks tuning in hopefully worthy of your time and energy Uh, again we should be here uh, for Tuesday 8 p.m. Eastern 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, maybe everybody, they can be working on their code for that. Heard a good one, at least good question. How much money do you need to not be classified as a Negro? 
you don't have any more trouble with this. I got enough money that, you know, this doesn't even see if you come up with a response to that or other good questions. She said the lead up other good questions about that other good resources and what have you to make people reconsider because so many white people, they do a great job of trying to put this one over on us, confuse us, bamboozle us, if you will. Uh, so bright, and especially for this, well, I guess really up until Tuesday, really, maybe even Wednesday, you have young folks and they're going out, maybe they're home, this is the last uh, whoopee before they're going back to school or they're starting school or, you know, whatever. Um, sobriety checkpoints will be out probably until Tuesday, I would think. Uh, and I would make sure, it's no shield, whatever that means, I would share reports about what has happened at some of the many different parties over this summer where you ended up having mass shootouts and all the rest and I would share if you're in the New York area great I wouldn't care what you're going to do barbecue party dance all of the above water balloon fight whatever vegan cookout uh, you're cool with having NYPD drone surveillance hanging out overhead that's nothing to think about I would show that too. Uh, hopefully, if they're informed enough to maybe drive to a function on their own, they're old enough to be going out and doing something at 10 o'clock at night by themselves, that would at least give them pause. Do what? Serious? The drones are coming. <laughs> like, whoa, whoa. Uh, yes, no parties. Yes. And if even if you gotta go out, I would not be in any sort of big groups uh, indoor or outdoor I just would not want all that attention and law enforcement electronic or otherwise uh, I would not want to have to be is how many people here are, are have firearms where are the exit is something gonna like nah small sober I would not want to be at a bar something where they're going to be serving a lot of alcoholic beverages uh, you just never know what could happen if it's alcohol, could be other narcotics as well. Guard your drink. Lots of things to consider. I just wouldn't want to put myself in that sort of environment too much. Things are kind of dangerous. Go to the wrong house and you could be shot in the brain. Anywho, Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all levels at all times each and every time we are in contact with another black person it has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately no name calling no gossiping no throwaway offspring talk to your children about narcotics white supremacy racism and sexual abuse lots of that too and in fact all three of those go together often. You have the white people, they give you a little alcohol or something else to make you a little more pliable. And yeah, all three of them. 
Cal signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, Your brother. Problem. You're a victim. Yeah. I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. Yeah. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.